Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibookie Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Welcome to the quarantine that goes to 11. That's right, this quarantine goes to 11, and this is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my good friend. He's far, far away, but he's with us in spirit. It's Chris Sinzak. Hey, hey, how's it going? By the power of Skype, how are you? <laughs> by the crappy power of Skype, ah. fine. It's like the podcast is sometimes an hour or two hours long, but when you equate Skype and the setup and everything that goes into it, it's actually like three hours. Yeah, I talk to you more than my wife, and I still don't even see you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the perks, baby. You don't even have to see me because it's the quarantine (laughs) sessions. This is number 11. We're going to have a good time today. As always, we've got another awesome guest with us. This one is going to be extra, extra special. So before we get right to it, because you guys have sent us a ton of really great questions this week, I'm really looking forward to diving into these. Now would be the time where we take care of our business. You know, check out our reviews, see if we got any from Podchaser. Maybe we got a recommendation on Facebook, possibly an Apple Podcast review. But this week... No, none of those. But that's all right because there's been so much great conversation on the Facebook page lately that I've been noticing, you know, so many cool rock and roll fans all getting together, congregating there and just having polls and talking about their opinions and everybody's talking about what they love, what they don't love. And it's become a real community. It's been that way for a while. And it's so cool to see that. And so, you know what? That's good enough for this week. Go to the Facebook page, like it, and get in on the conversation. I'm not upset about it. No, it's all good. And, yeah, we like you said, the interaction's been great. The amount of questions you guys submitted this week is nuts. Yeah. And uh, and not only not only a lot of questions, but a lot of really good questions. Really, so uh, really. we're excited to get into this today. But last week, as we continue along this journey of being quarantined away from each other with these sessions that we've been doing last week was number 10 we had an awesome guest our good friend metal mike from mdg rock photography and i know you guys have been checking out his stuff and loving it he's got so many amazing pictures over at the uh, instagram you got to check that out and we had some really cool people that shared and retweeted last week's episode and if you didn't know that means that they are geeks of the week 
Yeah, this week's Geeks of the Week are Brant Cattell, Darren Parkin, Joseph Capone, Joshua Toomey, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Adam Cox, Decibel Geek TV, Bill Elam, Simon Cat, Victor Ruiz, Mikhail Burrell, Scott Crouch, Aaron Baker, John Phillips, Mike Parnell, Todd Cunningham, David Glenn, James West, Steve Wright, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Baco, Joel Hoffman, David Cathy, Ernesto Aguiar, Hakon, Bergstadt, Billy, Bipolar Billy, Eladio, Daniel Lee, and as always, and today, our special the guest, Mooger Fuger. the Mooger Fuger. What's going on, baby? Hey, guys, what's happening? Now, this has been a long time coming. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I blew your cover when we submitted questions. I hope that was okay. Oh, that's okay. I felt like I was on uh, like MTV Unmasking of Kiss at that <laughs> moment. <laughs> it was it was all over, man. The mystique is gone, but that's yeah. all good, man. Because uh, I love everybody. It's all it's all right. So it, it was like the MTV unmasking, and as in I posted it late at night, and nobody paid attention. <laughs> pretty much, man. Pretty much, it was like it went totally unnoticed. <laughs> oh man, too. Funny. But now you're uh, you've become a, a decibel geek legend over the years, and we're gonna get to we're gonna get to why you get named as Geek of the Week every week because I'm also gonna reveal <laughs> some secrets behind that today as well. Awesome! Can't wait. Can't what a wait, tease! <laughs> it, this is a. I just really want to be serious, though. This is a real honor and a privilege. I've known you guys a very long time, and uh, to be honest with you, Decibel Geek has gotten me through some really really crappy times and i and i really can't thank you enough for everything you guys do the production you put into every week's show and i can't tell you just how thrilled i am to actually be sitting here on the decibel geek podcast how awesome is that the only thing would be awesomer is if we actually all were sitting here together it's gonna happen brother it's gonna you know it yeah 2021 rocking pod we're gonna be all feeling so good so happy by then we're gonna be rocking here in nashville but for today you guys have sent in a shit ton of really really good questions i've perused these earlier i know chris was looking at them the mooger fooger's been checking them out we've got the answers to these questions but right off the top on the instagram we got one from ronald reb and he brings up bob kulik and we got to talk about it you know former guest of the show legendary figure in history bob kulik passes away as we're recording this just a couple of days ago at the age of 70 man that sucks yeah yeah, and I was I was caught completely off guard by it. I was I was working yesterday um, for my day job, and it hit a, it, it came up on Facebook, and I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And uh, yeah, it kind of hit pretty hard. Uh, you know, we we had our famous interview with Bob where it was a little <laughs> awkward, and um, but as uh, you know, most of the last few interviews he did in his life were kind of awkward. But uh, you know. Uh, Regardless of that, um, his contribution to music, not just Kiss, obviously we don't know what happened or what caused him to pass away. I, my, my thoughts and prayers go out to Bruce and his whole family. Yeah. Um, it's got to be a very, very difficult situation because, as we know, uh, they weren't getting along there at the end. So um, I hope that they found peace. I hope Bruce is okay, and I hope they get through this. But to focus on his music – some amazing contributions, like obviously with Kiss, the Paul Stanley solo album, a lot of oh, great yeah. playing. He wrote Naked City, which is a song where when I first heard Unmasked, I didn't even like the song. But as I've gotten older and learned to appreciate a wider variety of music, I realized that that's like one of the best songs in the catalog, honestly. I love that um, song. 
yeah, his playing on creatures. He played on Killers, but then outside of Kiss, you know, he did Crimson Idol by Wasp, which is an incredible album. Yes. Uh, played on Paul's solo tour. Just a lot of a lot of great contributions. A really good player. All the and, best um, tribute albums. The, oh yeah, the a ton of tribute albums that he put together and. I've seen so many amazing tributes from musicians and fans for the last 24 hours. And, you know, he really was somebody who brought a lot of people together, um, which, you know, regardless of his issues with the band or with Bruce, he really was good at like as almost like a rock star matchmaker with a lot of these albums he put together. So my hat's off to Bob Kulik. It sucks that he's gone, but uh, listen to some of that stuff. I listened to the Paul Stanley 78 solo album today and just had a ball listening to it. So, Hopefully his family is good, and uh, that's what I'm going to take away from it. Yeah, if you want to know the majesty and the magic of Bob Kulik, you don't need to go no further than Paul Stanley's 78 solo album. He kills it on that. Yeah, it's great stuff. When I found out he played the leads on the Crimson Idol, uh, the Wasp record, I was blown away and, and not surprised because his style and his tone and his uh, – his playing is just all over that. When you really listen to it, you're like, okay, that makes sense. That's Bob. And it was just genius. And of course the 78 solo record and everything he did on side four of live two. Yeah. I mean, he, he burns it up. And of course we've all seen the video from the kiss cruise when the Kulik brothers were in better times and they reunited and they did that amazing show. I love that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched that show and just thought now that is what I want to see live. And, and I was blessed enough to be able to see it. Very cool. Well, Bob Kulik, you're loved and appreciated, and you definitely will be missed. Absolutely. And go Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we got to move on from that. It's a tough way to get it started. But like I said, we got a lot of really great questions lined up. Here's another one from Instagram. Comes to us from EJ Spink. He's been knocking them out of the park with some really good questions. If you became a roadie, what band would you want to tour with? Mine would be Iron Maiden. Everyone and everything gets on Ed Force One and globe trots to some of the coolest places on the planet with Captain Bruce at the controls. How cool would that be? That is awesome. Yeah, that's hard to argue. That does sound fantastic. That would be good. I would, uh, of course, I'm biased, but I would say Alice Cooper because I'd love to work on that stage production every night. That would be oh, yeah. pretty fun. That's a tough one. Shane, what do you think? Well, you know, I mean, it's hard to beat Iron Maiden and the Ed Force One and all that fun you would have uh, globe trotting with them. I mean, that's awesome. But there, there's so many out there that would be so fun. I like Chris's answer with the Owl Scooper and the stage production, especially if you're talking back on the original Welcome to My Nightmare tour where everything was a little primitive and everything took a little more work to, to set up. That That'd be cool. But to be honest with you, like a band like the Ramones, just stripped down, loading in, loading out, and probably partying pretty hard. You know, that sounds, I think that would be a lot of fun. And you didn't exactly travel in luxury. I'm pretty sure they never did. So, you know, something like that, to be honest, that, I think that'd be very cool. I can just imagine the Ramones looking at you and go, look at this guy, the Mooger Fooger, always smiling. What's so much fun? We got, we got butter sandwiches. We're packed into this crappy van. You know, we got to carry all our own stuff, but this guy having the time of his life. Uh, I would be in heaven. I'd be in heaven. 
Yeah, here's here's your Marshall lamp, here's your leather jacket, and here's your heroin. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you in rehab in a month. Have a good right. <laughs> wow. Good time. Good time. All right. Byron Chambers wants to know, what's with all these questions? Are you a cop or something? And did you check your messages? Yeah, I'm definitely not a cop, especially this week. And I don't ever check the messages. <laughs> I check the mess. It's I'll get back to you, Brian. I'll, I'll I, I'm that's my fault. I run the Instagram, so I'll let, I'll I'll get back to you. Nice. You totally called out Chris Sinzak on the show. Beautiful. All right. Here's one from Jeff DV8. If you could travel back in time, what would be your top tours to go see besides just Kiss? Me, Van Halen 2 Theater Tour in 79, Stones in 72, and Master of Puppets. What do you think? Um, I would see Kiss at Cobo Hall 76, one of those nights that's on video. I would see the Ramones at CBGB's. Yeah. Um, And I would see Van Halen on the 1984 tour just because the production was so fucking amazing. Good choice. I thought a lot about this one, and you know the fact he threw up their Van Halen, like Van Halen Diver Down era. I mean, they were just starting to ramp up the arena show; they were getting really big. Um, I thought that would have been amazing. I would have loved to have been at like the any one of the Dress to Kill a live tour stops, you know, where they were recording alive. And uh, yeah, Master of Puppets. I'm going to steal that right off of him because yeah. I would have loved to see that show, but not opening up for Ozzy Osbourne on the Ultimate Sin tour. I would have loved to see him that tour in like a theater setting, maybe two thousand, maybe three thousand people, and just Metallica. I think that would have been amazing. Nice. You know, there's one that I always think about, and if it was like a time machine where you could go back to being a kid, if I would have known because I only learned this years later, but Metallica played in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, when Cliff Burton was still alive. And it would have put me at about 12 years old. So I had no idea. And had I known, I would have begged my dad to take me to Eau Claire, to take me to this concert, to this band he's never heard of. And I could have seen Metallica before they became huge. But like I said, I was 12 years old. And by the time I would have would have found out about it, even if Metal Edge would have printed the tour dates or something, it would have been a month later, so it wouldn't have mattered. Can I add one more? Yeah. Uh, Kiss at Tiger Stadium 1996. Yeah, I wish I could have been there. That would be a lot of fun. Chris, are you typing emails while we're recording? No. <laughs> are you typing on your computer while we're recording? Maybe. Because that comes across really clear. Actually, somebody thought that Ron was cheating at first when they were listening to that episode because of your typing. Um, He was cheating by the Well, I mean, he was cheating, but he wasn't looking up the answers. He already knew the answers. That was me cheating then. A lot of good it did you. (laughs) You forgot to to float me the answers for this week, man. Nope, I swore it had to be legit from here on out. Thank God. <laughs> I'll make sure I mute my I'll make sure I mute my mic from now on. <laughs> What's so damn important? It better be your mom sending you messages. I was actually lining up next week's um guest. Wow, that's multitasking. All right, yeah. let's keep moving. This one comes from Idiot Boy Matt. Have any of you gotten into the band Midnight? 
definitely worth checking them out if you love heavy and evil. I had not until today when I decided to check them out. Pretty interesting band. Uh, they they like wear black face coverings that cover their whole face, so they're kind of ahead of their time. Uh huh. Um, and uh, like kind of uh, old school, like almost like mo- imagine if Motorhead and Venom had a baby. That's what yes. they sound like. Yeah, I've got a CD here yeah. called Total Fucking Midnight, and it's crazy. I have. Man, you got to be in a certain mood for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I didn't not like it. I actually kind of enjoyed what I heard. I need to dig deeper, though. Didn't our friend Omid have something to do with the band Midnight? Like he was good friends with them or was part of the band or roadie or something? That does sound familiar. It's possible. Yeah, I have to ask him about that. Good question, because I never checked them out until today. So actually, I definitely want to hear. I definitely hear a big Motorhead influence. All right, Matt's got another question. Top three Deep Purple studio albums and favorite Purple lineup. Shane, you a fan of Deep Purple? You know, I am. However, I probably couldn't name only one Deep Purple record, and that's Burn. So I really can't give you the top three, but I do like Deep Purple. But to be honest with you, it's never been a a big spin in my music collection. I respect the hell out of them, and I, I, I couldn't tell you what my favorite lineup is, but I'll just throw a dart and say Mark IV. <laughs> okay. Well, you could have went 42, but 4 is good, too. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's cool you bring up Burn. If I think about Deep Purple and my favorite albums, number one is definitely Burn. Number two is Machine Head. Number three is Stormbringer. Yeah. And I love every era of the band. I know, Chris, you're not a big Ian Gillen guy, but I love oh. that stuff. You know, you can't discount Machine Head. It's such a great album. And even In Rock or Fireball, I mean, they're all so good. It's hard to pick oh. three. But I would say the era that had Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale is definitely yeah. my favorite. And that covers Burn and Stormbringer. Yeah. I mean, I... it's no shock that I'm not a fan of Ian Gillen's vocals, but that doesn't mean that, I mean, it doesn't mean that Fireball and Machine Head aren't great, great albums. In Rock is a great album, but um, no, the, the, the Coverdale Glenn Hughes lineup is definitely my favorite. And if I'm picking three, I'm picking Burn, Stormbringer, Come Taste the Band. Those are the three for me. It's so rare for a band like that to be able to change lead vocalists and then to bring two lead vocalists in. It's just a weird combination, but it sure does work. So funky and heavy and rocking at the same time. I love it. I will give an honorary honorary mention to Perfect Strangers because that is a good album. I love that song for sure. Yeah. Balky's great on it. (laughs) All right. uh, More from Idiot Boy Matt. Off the top of your head, name three favorite Judas Priest albums and songs. Oh, my God. I mean, for me, I like the old school stuff. I mean, I like Judas Priest all the way along. Through every album, through their whole career, there's something on every album that I like. In most cases, there's something on every album that I really, really like a lot, all the way from the very last one they released all the way back to their very first one. Those first couple of albums, I love them a lot. Rockarola and Sad Wings of Destiny. Not too long ago, I revisited both of those albums. And, man, that's some of my favorite stuff. When that comes up on the iPod, I'm always happy to hear it. But for me, top three, Judas Priest. Number one, Stained Class. Number two, 
Hellbent for Leather, and number three, going back to Sad Wings of Destiny. Those are all good. I would, uh, this is really hard. This is like picking but, your favorite kid. Yeah, I mean, but that on. could change in 10 minutes. Oh, you know? really? But if I'm going to go off the top of my head, which is what he asked me to do, um, favorite albums, if I go back to the old school, Sin After Sin, Screaming for Vengeance, and I'm going to put Firepower up there because I still go back to that record all the time. And then um, favorite oh. songs, Desert Plains definitely is one. Dissident Aggressor yes. is one of my favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... I'll, for now, I'll just say Free Will Burning. Shit, yeah, that one's awesome, too. Like I said, all through the whole career, there's something there for everybody, especially me. What about Shane, you, Shane? tell me your love of the well, Judas Priest. I could throw a dart in any one of their albums in the catalog, and I'll love something about everyone. But off the top of my head, I'm going to say Painkiller, Stained Class, and Firepower. Nothing bad about any one of those records. And if i got to go to like favorite songs, I'm Painkiller. Killer is still to this day will give me goosebumps and get me moshing by myself in my backyard if I have to. <laughs> Every time that song comes on, mm-hmm. uh, uh, another one better by you, better than me. I know I that's controversial that because of all the lawsuits and everything, but that's an amazing song. It's probably my favorite um, priest song. And off of fire, uh, and off of firepower, uh, lightning strikes. Man, that's just every song is powerful on that record, but that one. I'll play it every day and twice on Sunday. Can I give an honorary mention to um, No Surrender? Perfect. Sure. Why not? Love that song. See, and these are my favorite kind of questions. The ones where there are no wrong answers. Unless you pick Turbo. Just kidding. There's even good stuff oh, on Turbo. Oh, now wait. Hold up. Hold up. Hold off of Turbo is an amazing song. I know. I'm just talking. I'm talking about Turbo Lover. What's wrong with that? I don't like it. Never have. There ain't nothing ah. wrong with that. There's worse on it. We can there. all be wrong. Yeah, there's parental guidance right here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. oh, man. Three Tigers Spokane. What was the first MTV video you ever saw? And what was the first hard rock or heavy metal video you ever saw? Um. Well, I can tell you, I don't exactly remember it. But I remember the event of it, being at my Aunt Dawn's house, who lived in town and had cable, and I was real young, but was into music, and the debut of MTV was kind of a big deal. And so I was at her house. I remember being there when the first video came on. I don't you know, remember it. I guess it was Video Killed the Radio Star, but uh, yep. I saw the first video. I was there for it because it was cool, because back then... You know how it was. You remember. If it was on TV, it was kind of an event. You know, it wasn't nothing you could DVR and watch later. It was a thing you had to be there for, and that's how kind of that was. And I think, I can't tell you for sure, but I'm going to guess that it was Motley Crue smoking in the boys' room for the first rock video I ever seen where I was like, whoa, look at these guys. That's awesome. Kind of like Kiss. I think for me... um it's hard to remember the first video I ever saw, but just thinking off the top of my head, I think it might have been maybe an Ario Speedwagon video. I, that for some reason, that seems to come to mind. Um, for hard rock or heavy metal, I definitely remember the first time I saw one of those, and that was Come On, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot. I remember seeing that for the first time. 
you stole mine, Chris. Um, but as far as the very first video I ever saw on MTV was Separate Ways by Journey. I remember that because we didn't have cable, but I had gone over to some, one of my mom's friends, and they had cable. And I remember sitting in front of the TV, and that video came on, and I immediately loved Journey, by the way, at that point. Um, the first hard rock or heavy metal was quite right. I'm going to have to side with Chris on that one. It was come on field noise. I remember eating pizza and drinking a Dr. Pepper. So, I mean, I, I remember that very vividly. You know, very Quiet cool. Riot kind of were the godfathers of the hard rock MTV music video. And I know it was a cover song, but that song was so damn catchy. You could not get it out of your head once you heard it. Yeah. Did you guys ever remember the story about them recording it and how they yeah. absolutely hated it? Um, yeah. Kevin had wanted Frankie to blow the drum track because if they didn't get the drum track right, they couldn't get the song right. And and Frankie was just incapable of playing a bad drum part. That was a very good story. Wow. That's cool. All right. What was the first band you called and voted for during the Dial MTV era? Did you guys ever call and dial in and vote on MTV? I know. Exi- I got this one. I got this one. Yeah. For me, it was Striper calling on you. That's cool. Nice. Uh, the only one I can remember really calling in heavily for was Turn On The Night by Kiss. I remember calling nice. in for that one a lot. I never called in and voted on Dial MTV. <laughs> really? I'm so ashamed. Because I, I, we lived out in the country and we didn't have cable. So cable was the kind of thing like I'd beg my parents, hey, can I please spend the night at my friend Jason's house on Saturday night? So we can sit around and watch MTV and watch the Headbangers Ball. So, yeah, we didn't have it out where we lived. Wow. Uh, Let's see. All right. Hey, we couldn't pronounce the name, so he's taking it easy on us. We can call him Hackon, I think, if we even are pronouncing that right. Drummer-related question. Since I'm a drummer, in a live setting, which drummer do you prefer? One you notice or one you don't notice? One I notice. I mean, I, I love it when a, when a drummer really puts on a show. And that's why I've always loved, you know, Peter Chris or Eric Singer. Eric Singer, especially when I would go see Kiss in the early 90s. I mean, he would put on a show by himself. And I always love that. He doesn't really do it as much today. But, um, yeah, all the stick, stick twirling and stuff. Tommy Lee. No, I love it when a drummer, like, takes the forefront and, and draws attention to himself. And, you know, it goes along with talent, too, and skill as well. You know, I can tell you a story from Rockin' Pod last time when 8-Ball was playing. Now, you got this band up on stage, and they're really good. You know, the, the singer's doing his thing. The guitarist is awesome. The bass player and the drummer are working together. But there was something special about that drummer they had, and everybody there knew it. They were like, man, this band is really good. Holy shit, look at that drummer. And the drummer's just killing it back there. So, you know, a strong drummer, I know a lot of times it's joke. You know, it's like, well, a drummer could be replaced. Nobody's going to notice. But you can always go out there as a drummer, do your job, do exactly what you're going to do, but add enough flair to it where people go, holy shit, look at the drummer. Yeah, I agree. And like even before, like I became a guitar player based on what I was able to do. But when I was growing up and really, really young, I always wanted to be a drummer. So like I have mad respect for good drummers, especially drummers that can put on a show. 
Tommy Lee may not be the most redeeming person as a human, but the man knows how to put on a show. And uh, also, good shout out to um, the drummer from Slaughter. What's his name? I can't remember his Zoltan. name right now. Yeah, that guy is a damn good drummer. Like he puts on a show all on his own. Yeah, yeah, highly entertaining and you know just perfect at his job at the same time. Yes. Um, as far as yeah, man, I want a drummer that's going to be noticed because I'm a closet drummer. I mean, I, I can't play more than just a couple of 4-4 four, four beats on the drums, but I always, from a very little kid, watching Peter Chris up on the drums, always wanted to be a drummer. And to this day, I don't care if it's uh, like the drummer in Clutch, which is an amazing drummer yeah. and it's amazing music. Then again, when you watch somebody like Dave Lombardo up there just hitting the drums, I'm fixated on how he plays and how he hits the double bass. And, and especially if you're talking a big arena, the band when all the lights start hitting off the cymbals and, and the drums and everything's just kicking i'm the guy who stays for the drum solo and doesn't go to the take a piss and get a beer that's the guy <laughs> I am. Shit, yeah and talking about dave lombardo one of my favorite things on youtube is a video of him playing with suicidal tendencies and the camera is just set up perfect to just feature him and what he's doing and it is unbelievable when people say that guy's the greatest drummer of all time it's hard to argue it sometimes. I saw that show with Suicidal Tendencies, him on drums at a little club called The Vogue in Indianapolis. And I must have been four or five rows from the stage, and the stage wasn't that big, and I just watched Dave Lombardo the entire time. All right, well, let's move it along. Here's a question, another one from Idiot Boy Matt. I wonder if he's a fan of Ugly Kid Joe. This is not a very rock and metal question, but he's just got to know. What are our favorite green vegetables? Uh, green beans. Shane? Well, uh, I'm going to have to throw green bell peppers, green beans, and broccoli. I'm going to do three on that one right there. I like all of them. I'm going to go with broccoli if there's cheese melted on top of it. And he also wants to know our preference. Is it pork, beef, fish, or chicken? Uh, give me the beef. Beef. Man, I'm total carnivore. I eat all that stuff. Like, if I go to the Chinese buffet or something, I don't get no rice and I don't get no noodles. I get a plate full of meat with maybe a couple of pieces of sushi. I love all that stuff as long as there's cheese melted on it. (laughs) Everything's better with cheese. All right. That brings us into the Facebook questions. Oh, no, wait. One more from Twitter. Here's one. Uh, John Mc... Oh, shit. This is small. Oh, I can read it. Yeah, you want to take? Hey, what? Well, tell you what, I'm having uh, so much fun just kicking back and hanging out with Shane, Chris. Why don't you take over the questions this week? I'll save myself for beat the geek. All right, I will take over. John awesome. McGaffick on Twitter wants to know what is the best book about Kiss. I have probably 20 books on on Kiss, but the one I enjoyed most is Kiss and Cell. I thought that was very eye-opening and informative and a lot of things in there. It might be one, you know, one-sided because there's three sides to every story, but I really enjoyed reading Kiss and Sell. What about you? I agree 100%. It's definitely Kiss and Sell. Chris Lent did an awesome job with that book, as only he could, because he's the only one that really could write a book from that perspective because he was right there in all of it. I love that book. Yeah, and I'll make it three for three. That's 
it's the best behind the scenes Kiss book. And also, I've told I've told people even if you hate Kiss, it's a great lesson in how the music industry worked through that period of time. I don't think anything's topped it, and there's been a lot of books released since then. I would the only thing I would put close to it would be Lydia Chris's Sealed with a Kiss. I think that one's got a lot of great behind the scenes uh, photographs and stories, but Kiss and Cell still tops out for me. Yeah, Sealed with a Kiss was just a beautiful book, top to bottom. She did such a good job with that book, and it was so enjoyable to read and look at. Yeah, There's a lot of great Kiss books out there, but you just can't top the ones of the people that were behind the curtain. Yeah. And actually, Barry Levine's Kiss photography book has some great stories in it, too, if you haven't checked that one out. Um, So let's go to Facebook. We have a ton of Facebook questions to get through. So Patrick Breen wants to know, being a fan of both Bill and Ted movies and soundtracks with the new one coming out, would you prefer more of a classic rock and metal soundtrack to sell? Mind if it was a tool to sell newer music and bands? Myself, I'm hoping for classics and maybe a reference to Gary Sharon's stint in Van Halen. What do you guys think? Well, man, you know us. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. I would love it if they went back and looked at those first two soundtracks and took the bands that were still around and had them comprise the new soundtrack. Get Tora Tora on there with a new song. Have Kiss come back and write one for that. You know, do some stuff like that. It's Bill and Ted. It's got to be the classic rock that goes along with that. And by the way, I am super excited that this movie is finally coming out. Oh, me too. Yeah, I I got to agree with you. I think it's it's got to be bands from the past. And I think it would be cool to see bands from back then. Like, you know, on, on the Bogus Journey soundtrack, you had Slaughter, Winger, Kiss, Richie Cotton, Steve Vai, Faith No More, yeah. Megadeth, Primus, King's X. So you had a good variety of stuff then, but like have those bands record new songs. I, I think that would be fun, and I'm totally stoked for the new movie. Uh, Shane, what do you think? Well, you know, you guys really put a good spin on that. I didn't even think about it. Of course, I was leading towards the classic rock and metal, but we, are we going to go back and just grab old classic rock and metal songs and push them onto the soundtrack and be lazy about it? But I like where you guys are coming from. Let's go back. Grab those artists, have them do a new song, or maybe even re-image one of their old songs, and and make them represent it. I think that's a great idea. That I think that's awesome. I love it. When it came to those Bill and Ted movies, it was almost like the soundtrack was almost as important as the movie. Yeah, I remember. Uh, was it bogus that the uh, God gave rock and roll to you too was on? Yep. Yep. That's one of my favorite soundtracks sit, of all time. I remember sitting in the movie theater as the credits rolled on that one and thinking to myself, man, that sounds like Paul Stanley. That sounds <laughs> like Kiss. I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> I'm super excited to, to see the new movie. I, I'm excited to see it come out. So let's go to the next question. Before Mark we Adams do, will... I just got to say, Wild Stallions rule. Oh, yeah. All right, go ahead. Woo. Uh, Mark Adam wants to know your top three perfect albums, not a skippable song to be found. What do you got? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go, man, and this is another one. Change in 10 minutes from now, but at this moment, right now, I'm going to say Skid Row, Slave to the Grind, Metallica, Master of Puppets, Motorhead, Ace of Spades. Those are nice. Shane, what about you? Can we do greatest hit compilations or no? That's cheating. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Shut you know, down. Uh, I'll make this real easy, and it's going to be kind of a cop-out and kind of a flush, but 
Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, Justice for All. Wouldn't skip one song on any one of those records. They are masterpieces. It's true. Hard to argue that. I would go Metallica, Kill 'Em All. Um, and I hate, even though it's very played out, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, you can't argue with it. No. And I would also agree with Aaron, Skid Row, Slave to the Grind. Nice. There's so, not a bad pick in any one of our picks. Yeah. Great answers, guys. We really kicked ass on that one. Uh, James Fort wants to know what is the superior post kiss debut? Vinnie Vincent Invasion or Fraley's Comet? That's a tough one mm. because as a huge Ace Fraley fan, I want to say Fraley's Comet because, I mean, that's a pretty great album. But then you look at that first Vinnie Vincent Invasion album, and it's pretty freaking great, too. Hmm, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I have to say Fraley's Comet, but man, that is tough. What do you guys okay. think? I'm going to go Peter Chris out of control. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, you're just as fucked up as Rock and Ron now. <laughs> no, to be honest, to be serious about this question now, I was so excited. I was pissing my pants for Fraley's Comet to be released because yeah. when I, I walked into my local record store and they had a cutout. You know, uh, of you know the new album coming, and he had that weird guitar. You know, I guess that he was debuting, and it was just like I could not wait for that record to come out. But to be honest with you, to be completely honest with you, as much as I love that record today, I did not love it when it came out. It took a little time to grow on me. And Vinnie Vincent Invasion, oh, this is gonna hurt. That one just I liked better from the get go. Today. I would have to put it on Fraley's Comet, um, but back in the day, I liked Vinnie Vincent more than I did the Fraley's debut. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I will agree with you, Shane. I Vinnie Vincent is an absolute train wreck of a human being, but yep. that album is way better, in my opinion, to this day than Fraley's Comet. Yeah, song for song, it's it's hard to argue it, and you know, if anybody's going to argue it, it, it would be me. That's a tough one to take a fight against because if you look at it song for song, ooh man, I just I can't do it though. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an ace homer. <laughs> Even if it was the right thing to do, I still can't bring myself to do it. I can't say yeah, so. Fraley's comment all the way. Yeah, but he has a Todd Howworth handicap, right, Aaron? Uh, kinda, yeah. That's that's kind of what it is. I'm thinking, like if, <laughs> if Ace would have sang all the songs, nothing against Todd Howarth, but he shouldn't have been singing in an Ace Frehley band. It should always been Ace all along. If Ace would have sang all the songs, then I think it's easily the other way. But yeah, I guess maybe you're right. The handicap does kind of go that way, and it does kind of help out. Vinnie Vincent Invasion, because it's stacked full of great songs. Whether you like Vinnie Vincent or not, there's no denying that. Yeah. Well, look at look at Trouble Walking, where he did sing every song. Exactly. See, I take Trouble Walking over it. amazing record. And I think it was a lot of the producers uh, trying to make get him on, back on the radio. Todd Howarth was a very pop-driven, radio-friendly kind of writer. Yeah. And he's yeah. a great guy and a magnificent songwriter and he did some amazing things especially on second siding and so that album singer. wouldn't have even happened but if they would have just left good enough alone so to speak you know and just let ace be ace i think it would have been a lot better 
Yeah, because I'll take trouble walking over the first Mini Vincent invasion for sure. Mm. Hands down. Yeah, no, hands not, down. Not me. Whatever, All Chris. Right. You Vinnie Vincent nut swinger. <laughs> oh yeah, I really worship that. You guy. fanboy. <laughs> Did you know that was actually that? I, that popped up in my memories. His rant against me. I saw yeah. it in my Facebook memories. Um, At but, least uh, it's all just a Facebook memory now. Yeah, really, a Facebook nightmare. Um, all right, Chad Pollock wants to know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how responsible is Mutt Lang for all the shitty new country music we hear today? All right, Ooh. I looked at this. Now, before you guys answer this, let me lay out a little fact for you that might put this question into perspective. So let's look at Mutt Lang from 1987 to 1997. What was he doing? And let's look at how that affects the people that were young at that time that grew up to become country artists now. So the top four artists for Mutt Lang in those 10 years, Def Leppard, Brian Adams, Michael Bolton, Shania Twain. That, you throw that in a blender, that's today's country. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. (laughs) It's just math. Add it up. So I got an answer for you. Okay. What quarantine episode is this? 11. Eleven. That's it. That's my answer. (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10. He goes to 11. (laughs) I I love that man. He gave us so many good records from ACDC and Def Leppard's early stuff. I mean, he really did take Def Leppard from being just, I don't know, almost an ACDC cover band, you know, and turning him into a monster. And he did it great. And back in black, come on, man. I mean, he's got a lot to be credited for on a good scale. But once he met Shania and it just became a country kind of thing, he's kind of, Shania was kind of the first, all right, country kind of moved on from country and now we're pop. Yeah. And I think he had a big part in that. And I'm not really putting him down for that. He's very good at what he does, and he if he has a if he has a reason to do something, he does it, and it comes out platinum selling. You can't deny that. Okay, well, I'm even, just going to end this argument with the fact is the man got to bang Shania Twain. You would have put out polka music if you got to do that. <laughs> Preach. Preach. <laughs> man, I love it that you're taking over the questions this week. Now I can just sit back and drink beer. Okay, I'll just keep slurring my speech as I get through the question. <laughs> we should be in awesome shape by the time we get to the game show. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, shit. It'll be like most weeks. I won't remember the game show. You know, it's uh, fu- it's funny, too, because a, a couple of weeks ago I was talking about how I hardly ever drink anymore. But since we've been recording on Saturday nights, I've been drinking almost every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm such a good influence on you. Mm-hmm. Cheers to you, right. my friend. All right. Next question comes from Shane Paisley. He wants to know how the fuck did the Mooger Fooger get past security? <laughs> That's a good Seriously. question. Well, the Mooger Fooger's been a supporter of the Decibel Geek podcast as long as I can remember. Yeah, we should uh, get into the whole Mooger Fooger thing because there's a whole different there's different dimensions <laughs> to this. And one. <laughs> One question that comes up repeatedly on this this list is how did uh, how does the Mooger Fugger get name checked in every episode? And Shane, you okay with me uh, unveiling this? You go for it, Chris. I'm I'm good. Well, I was just going to say because there's nothing in the English language more fun to say than the Mooger Fugger. 
Okay, it's a two-part answer. That's one part. The the other part is there was, and this is a common complaint that we get from people that share from different. They share the link different ways, and I usually pull the names from whoever shares it from the Facebook page or the Twitter page from the official post. And Shane was like sharing it every week, but I think he was doing it differently. So I basically got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to name check your ass every <laughs> single week. And that's, right. how, that, that's how it happened. Was he coming to you going, hey, man, I, yeah. I should be a geek of the week. I share this every week. Yeah, he said, hey, man, what be this and what be that? And why you got to leave me off the geeks of the week like that? <laughs> and so well. so here's a question I don't know, and this was asked by a number of people. Where the hell does the name the Mooger Fugger even come from? Okay. Are you guys ready mm-hmm. for the epic answer, or do you want the boring answer? No, we want cool. the epic answer. Okay. Well, I suffer from something called night terrors or night frights or really bad nightmares. And I get them from time to time. So I had one, and I'm going to say this is all around 10, you know, 9. And I had one, and dripping in sweat. Ah, just, I couldn't get to sleep because this was a really bad terror. I got up, got out of bed. I said, ah, I gotta go take a piss. Clear my head a little bit so I can get back to sleep. I walked into the bathroom, written on the wall in more blood than you could ever imagine. I saw something that said, regoof, regoom, regoof, regoom. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is that? And sure enough, I turned around and looked in the mirror, and it said, Mooger Fooger. I'm like, what is a Mooger Fooger? This has got to mean something. So from that day on, from that day forward, that name has just been assigned to me, Mooger Fooger. Wow. (laughs) You guys guys sold on that, right? Does that make sense? I guess I I I should be scared of Mooger Fooger hornets coming from China. Uh, I, I saw them once, yes. Um, but the real serious, boring uh, answer to this is uh, when I was living, I had a commute for work for a while. I was living in Anderson, Indiana, and I was living with a couple other guys in a townhouse. Well, I would get bored on Friday nights because I, I had to work Saturday, so I was still down there on Friday nights. And I was doing the fir- my first, you know, my first incantation of a, a of a podcast, and it was just basically blowing up my Facebook feed with videos and acting like a DJ. And I said, well, I really need a handle. And while sitting on the crapper looking at a Guitar World magazine, I saw a piece of gear, and it was called the Mooger Fooger Effect Pedal. Oh. And it was supposed to rep- it was supposed to replicate the Mini Moog. And I thought. Well, that's the funniest name I've ever seen in my life, the Mooger Fooger. <laughs> so instead of all one word, the Mooger Fooger, I said, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make it myself. I'm going to make it Mooger Fooger. And I have the Fooger Nation on Facebook for a while. And uh, that's really where it came from. It's nice. as simple as that and as boring as that. And I appreciate the fact that through you guys <laughs> mentioning me at the end of every episode or as, at the end of every uh, Geeks of the Week, List that somehow I'm I'm still there and I do not feel worthy of that. But um, at every rock and pod, everyone comes up to me and says, "You're the Mooger Fooger." <laughs> yes, I'm just an ugly, bald, old 
idiot. And my name is the Mooger Fooger. Nice to meet you. <laughs> but everybody that is that it, the show the loves him. Yeah, you've uh, your legend has grown over the years. Oh, yeah. It's pretty funny. Oh man. And he contributes to that legend every year at Rock and Pod. It's just, <laughs> it's just stupid how media can it can spread whatever it wants and you guys somehow got the Mooger Fooger out there and people who remember my Facebook show, so to speak, they're, they're often like are you the same Mooger Fooger as Decimal Cake? And I'm like, yep, unfortunately, that's me. That's me. Wow. <laughs> These guys somehow have put up with me for so many years. <laughs> They've learned to celebrate it after a while. <laughs> yeah. We we just love to say the name. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> come on. So if you come up with a clever name and you complain to me that we never mentioned your name, then I'll probably just get fed up and put you on the list every week. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, so uh, Mark Adams wants to know, favorite band that starts with a W? I would say mine would have to probably be Whitesnake, I guess, overall. Man, that's Wasp. pretty tough. Yeah, Whitesnake. I was, I was looking at Whitesnake. I was looking at Wasp. I got to go with Warrant. That's a good one, too. There's a lot of W names. Yeah, Weezer, Wednesday Can I change 13. My no. Wham. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice having you on the show this week, Mooger Fugger. We'll talk to you later. Nice knowing you. See ya. And that All was right. the last time you ever heard him mentioned as a Geek of the Week. <laughs> I know. You're, yeah. You just got removed from Geek of the Week going forward. Oh. Disqualified. Um, David Hudson from Digital Kill the Radio Star wants to know, what's your favorite style of guitar? I'm guessing he means body style. And in that case, I would go first and say the uh, Paul Stanley Ibanez Iceman is my favorite. Nice. Yeah, that's a beauty. I always love the BC Rich Warlocks. I just mm-hmm. love the shape of them. They look metal. They're pointy. Yeah. They got very pointy edges. They're pointy in all the right ways. <laughs> well, yeah, going back to uh, – uh, it's going to be obvious, but Ace Fraley being – the very first guy I couldn't take my eyes off of on that live one album and seeing him in pictures and on, on the trading cards and everything with his Les Paul. Les Paul was absolutely the guitar I had owned when I became an adult and became wealthy enough, quote unquote, to afford a guitar. It's a Les Paul all all the way hands down. The Flying V's a close second and the yeah. Explorer's probably third. Yeah. See, that was Not always the one. thing I found cool about Ace Frehley, too, is like Ace Frehley always had that Les Paul, a wooden Les Paul, you know? And so it never really seemed to fit except for the sound. And that's what reinforces that Kiss is so much more than just the image because Ace would have got some crazy-looking guitar to play if it didn't matter. But because yeah. the sound mattered, he played a Les Paul. Well, I mean, it's hard, kind of hard to argue a Les Paul. It's a, it's a legendary guitar. I mean, it's basically transcends multiple decades so i mean it's hard to argue that one i just the ice man i still think is like the perfect guitar body style i've always loved that guitar i will own one one of these days right now i just have a bc rich mockingbird which is pretty cool though i like that and aaron's got a warlock i've seen it in person now chris let me ask you a question yeah if you were to be able to own an Iceman, would it be the fractured mirror or would no. it be the, gl- the the glitter? No, I would. I just like the straight up black one with the white trim on it. I just I like it to be basic and that that one to me, the PS10 that he had 
that one yeah. through the 70s and early 90s, that one works for me perfect. I love it. Love it. Right yeah. on. Hard to argue any of those. Uh, Andrew Jacobs, also no question for the Mooger Fugger. Is your wallet the one that says bad Mooger Fugger? <laughs> um, wallet? What wallet? <laughs> you don't have a wallet. Um, I haven't had a wallet, at least with anything in it, for a while. So um, I'm going to have to say no. Okay. If there's a bad Mooger Fugger out there, Godspeed, my brother. Godspeed. It is it is kind of funny that Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction had the wallet that said bad motherfucker, but then again, he's the guy who now does the commercials that says, what's in your wallet? Huh. <laughs> wow. Uh, Baco from Cobras and Fire wants to know, would you attend a concert where everyone was put in adult walkers to keep at least six feet apart and you peed in a little hole? I would prefer it. Yeah? That's how it should be. Nobody gets within my personal space, and I don't have to wait in line to take a piss. <laughs> I love it. Market it. The Cobras and Fire inflatable personal space. There's a Cobra hack. Yep, that's the way it should be. Well, personally, and this is just me, and I respect everyone's uh, opinions about this entire pandemic. It is serious, and it's to be taken seriously. But myself, I have no problem going back in with 10,000 sweaty people in a mosh pit right now. I have no problem with that. That's me. Um, but I absolutely respect everyone else's opinions uh, and being safe uh, and, and you wearing your protective, you know, your protective uh, gear, making sure everyone's safe. I have no problem with that. But the whole peeing in a hole, why don't you just hand out adult diapers at the door? You put those on. You just take a piss where you're standing and you don't have to worry about it. Just shed the diapers after the show. You're good. Yeah, that's what uh, Jim Florentine did. That's a famous story of his, and I don't mind it. No, it's not a bad idea. I was, matter of fact, I was talking to the wife about that today because we were in one of those bargain hunt stores. Today was the first day we've gone out and done anything in forever. We went to a yard sale, we went to the music store, we went to the Essex store, the bargain hunt, and they had the adult diapers there. And I told her, you know, we should get these for when concert season starts back up. And she looked at me, of course, like I'm crazy. And I said, because you wear them, you know, you could put a couple of extra ones in your purse. We'd never have to wait in line for the bathroom. And then she was like, yeah, but you got to change forward them. forward thinking, my friends, forward thinking right there. And I said, we both have to wear dresses. <laughs> well, Aaron, I've, I've got a couch if you have any place to crash. <laughs> In my diaper. Yeah. Uh, here's a good one from Craig Bowen. Better reincarnation, Hulk Hogan as Hollywood Hogan or Motley Crue with John Karabi? I'm going to say Karabi. I already know what Aaron's going to say. Well, the answer is obvious because, yes <laughs> – as I love both of these reincarnations, both of these changes in the characters and what you expect out of these two different entities. And yes, I truly love it to the bottom of my heart that Hulk Hogan keeps coming up in these quarantine sessions. <laughs> I'm glad you do. But if you look at it and say, okay, which one was better? The Hollywood Hogan was way more successful of a change than it was Karabi joining Motley Crue. As awesome as both of them were, Motley Crue didn't do nearly as well with their transition as Hollywood Hogan did with his. But are we talking commercially or personally? Well, either way you want to take it. Personally, I love them both. That's not the question. 
if uh, if Karabi had just put some charcoal on his cheekbones, then they would have been a oh, hit, right? Oh, good lord. <laughs> Come on. But my answer would absolutely be Karabi because I was so happy when that record came out. And I did not have one issue with them calling it Motley Crue because that was finally a Motley Crue that I thought sounded as good as they needed to sound and the way they needed to sound. Not that I disrespect a lot of the back catalog. I thought Too Fast for Love, Vince was a little screechy. I think they cleaned them up on um, Shot at the Devil. Theater of Pain was a joke. Girls, Girls, Girls does not hold up well. Dr. Feelgoods is okay. But when they when they dropped Motley Crue, Motley Crue with Karabi, <laughs> I that didn't leave my CD player for that summer. That's my two cents. Send hate mail to me. There's no arguing that though, you know, because exactly everything you said was was true. You know, those. It's I don't think it's hard to argue that Shout at the Devil is Motley Crue's greatest album, and mm-hmm. so everything since then never really held up to that until '94. But by '94, that was a totally different band. Yeah, I, I can understand how you think it's cool that they kept the Motley Crue name. I. Th- personally think they should have changed their name to something else and became a whole new band to give it a fresh start because that's what hurt it i think the motley crew fans that only liked motley crew the way it's always been to say no no this isn't motley crew anymore therefore i don't even want to hear it i don't even want to know if it's any good i don't give a damn because it's not motley crew to me those of us that were big enough motley crew fans that checked it out anyway said, wow, this is badass in a different way than what we've been getting from Motley Crue for a long time. Yeah, I agree overall. I think you're wrong, Shane, about Theater of Pain. I love that record. but um, You're wrong. Oh, whatever. Uh, All right. That's okay. That's fine. Okay. All right. Yeah, you and Mutt Lang. <laughs> <laughs> but it's best that we move on. Joseph C.M. Belly has an interesting question, multiple questions. Best quarantine beer, barbecue meats, bathroom to have a good meaty number two. He says, my bat- basement bathroom and band that you have found again, Man of War for me. Um, wow, quarantine that's a beer. multifaceted thing. I know. I am, uh, I'll go first and get out of the way. Uh, I'm drinking the Perfect Disguise Double IPA from Dogfish Head Beer, which is 8% alcohol, which is why I sound incredibly drunk. Um, barbecue meats. I, I still have to go with brisket because I'm from. I love Kansas City. Um, bathroom to have a good meaty number two, probably my own. And uh, <laughs> band that I've found again. I don't know that I've found any bands again. I've listening. I've been listening to a lot of Motorhead this week, so maybe that's that's my answer. Good for you. Those are good answers. Yeah. Um, my beer. You know it. It's ice cold Coors Light. Mm, so delicious. A little buttery. <laughs> I think that's what Coors Light is. It's It's got like a little hint of butteriness to it. So smooth. I love it. <laughs> I got the big tall silos, the big giant silver bazookas. And so I've been knocking them back for an hour before we started recording. So I'm feeling pretty good about not having to read the questions. Um, I like nice. brisket. Oh, yeah, for sure. I also love me some good old smoked chicken wings. No sauce on it, just smoked oh. meat. Ooh, love that. I love to go for some smoked trout, but this is totally off subject. Uh, favorite place to take a big old shit? Also Chris Sinzak's house. 
and uh, I forget. <laughs> I forget what the last one was. What's the uh, band that you've found again through this quarantine? Um, um, ABBA. Bullet Boys, I'll say. Okay. Yeah, Bullet Boys. I'm going with. Shane? Well, I've I've been uh, I'm man. I just once the liquor stores open back up from curbside, now we can actually go in. Um, you know, a good IPA, man. I just I. I know a lot of people don't like IPAs, but I do. Um, a Dragonfly IPA has been my favorite so far. BBQ uh, Meats, I'm going to say I'm a redneck, so I'm going to go like pork steak because nothing better than a pork steak. Um, bathroom to have a good meeting number two. Yeah, I'm going to say Chris's house as well. You can't beat um, it. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're just gonna blow you up, man. Don't worry about it. And band that you found again? Uh, yeah, man, it's cool in the gang. Heavy as a Chevy, baby. Cool in the gang. You heard me. <laughs> David Lee Roth approves. <laughs> uh, there's there's no, a lot worse things the Mooger Food could be digging on. Dig, no, just digging through my record collection. And this also isn't going to be very hard rock or heavy metal, but I've been pulling up a ton of Fleetwood Mac. So, ah, okay. Yeah. That's a band right. I've always felt like I probably owe another deep dive into because there's so many people that love them. I know the songs that I know are like awesome, well-written songs, but my my favorite thing when I think of Fleetwood Mac is the Judas Priest cover of Green Man Alishi. So, I mean, that's such I'm an Peter awesome Green song. Era, baby. Peter that's, Green era right there. That's such an awesome song that I think there's got to be other Fleetwood Mac that's good. So maybe someday if you, I will. If you want more stuff like the Green Man Alishi, um, dive back into the old Fleetwood Mac, yep. which is the Peter Green era. So I'll get off this track right now before I get booted. No, no, you're right, though. The Peter Green era is good, and also the Bob Welch era is actually good, too. There's Absolutely. some good stuff there. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. Oh, um, cause, I did not know Fleetwood Mac also had Mark's. Yeah, they did. Um, did you know I, when I saw Fleetwood Mac open for Kiss in 1994, it was Mick Fleetwood, Billy Burnett, Dave Mason, and Rebecca Bramlett. It was like the most non-Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac lineup I've ever seen. And, I saw uh, it. Did you? Yes, open I did. for Kiss. And, wow. And, uh, and Mick Fleetwood did a drum solo with a whole suit with different drum pads on his body. And that was these, awesome. The splash symbol was his crotch, which which was pretty funny. That's badass. I remember it well. Yeah. Um, From hearing that, I just now have a whole new respect for Fleetwood Mac. It was entertaining, I will say. All right. So uh, Steve Wright from the Potter Than Hell podcast says, with a ton of artists doing live stuff online, what has been your favorite so far, and who would you like to see that hasn't posted anything? Hmm. Can I go? Yeah, Yeah, do it. Okay. My favorite, two of my favorites, and once again, one of them is not very hard rock and heavy metal. The live uh, broadcast I saw from Clutch was amazing. Yes. And the other one, anytime Dave Matthews takes to, you know, doing anything over Access TV, it's, no. it's so hilarious and so enjoyable. Shame. And, no. Sorry. Um, that the, is incorrect. We, we need an intervention. Yeah, we sh- we didn't tell him the rules about not mentioning Dave Matthews on the Decibel no. Geek podcast. We, this is a first. Oh, we will. I'm sorry. 
Um, no, no. Chris, he's never going to learn if we edit it out. We have to leave oh it in. Oh, my God. Now now it's going to be at the end of the, the, the Geeks of the Week. Oh, and man. as always, back to the show. <laughs> I, I'm done. I'm and, done in this town, man. I'm done in this town. And but, as um, always, Dave Matthews' favorite. <laughs> the Mooger Fooger. Um, so we're not we're never going to do the heavier side of Dave Matthews, Aaron. <laughs> what would you say? Come I'd on, I'd rather die. Um, okay, okay, okay. Strike that from the record. Um, okay. the, the the band I would really want to see, man. Could you imagine like a just a reunited Slayer? Um, uh, you know, I know they've retired and they're off the road and all of that, but just. Put Slayer on a small stage and just let them rip it up, man. I think that would be so cool. That'd be badass. That's that would be the thing that I'd like to see more of too. Is like all these bands that have retired, and the, you know what it is? It's the road, the rigors of the road. You can't take it after so many years, you know. And so they give it up. But that ain't no reason to get not to get together once in a while and bust out something like this. And my number one favorite, no, it's not Dave Matthews. Far from it. I gotta agree with you on the clutch. That was freaking awesome. Oh, I love that so much. The Bullet Boys thing that I caught one day was really good, and that's what kind of got me back on a kick with them. And my number one favorite thing that's come out of the quarantine, besides the quarantine sessions here on Decibel Geek, has been Ryan Cook from Hair of the Dog doing his breakdowns of old Hair of the Dog songs. And he's so yeah. fun, and he's so entertaining, and I'm such a huge fan of that band that I'm actually learning stuff that I didn't even know about Hair of the Dog. And I freaking love that band. And to have him on there singing, playing, breaking it down, and just being his awesome, entertaining self, and plus I get to learn a little something more about Hair of the Dog maybe I didn't know, that's absolutely number one in my book. Yeah, I think he's calling it Tales from the Bark Side. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's badass. <laughs> I love it. I'll probably, when this is over, I'll probably go back and watch all those again and again. Yeah, they're they're, they're putting out new material, or not new material, but they're putting like remix material with Michael Wagner, like a best of. Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah, I have. That's exciting. You know, I, when I first saw it, I thought, new music from Hair of the Dog, and I was super stoked. And then it wasn't that, and I was a little bummed out. But then I saw yeah. it was Michael Wagner doing some remixes on that. And there's no question that, in my mind anyway, as awesome as that first album is, the second album, Rise, is by far the best representation of the band Hair of the Dog. And I think Michael Wagner had a huge hand in that because he's the perfect producer to work with just a straight-up hard rocking band like that. Like when we talked to Michael Wagner and we said, what's the one band if you could work with that you would choose above any other? And he said ACDC. And that's why yep. the guitars on that album, the tone, everything is so right on the money. And so if he's going back and remixing or mastering some of that other stuff, I'm all for it. Aaron, while I have you on the line, let me ask you, because I brought this up to Ryan Cook, and he said it wasn't like intentional, but it's possibly subconsciously. You know the the hair of the dog song I can't fight you. Yeah, I love it. Have you noticed how similar some of the chord changes are to Touch Too Much by ACDC? You got to understand where a band like Hair of the Dog comes from. You know, there's all kinds of you can get all kinds of feels off of all kinds of different classic artists that are awesome when you listen to a band like Hair of the Dog because they wear their influences on their sleeve. So yeah, yep. I can definitely see that. 
And I, I, I was listening one day and I was like, this sounds like touch too much. And I texted Ryan and I'm like, did you guys mean to sound like touch too much on this? And he's like, not intentionally, but it totally makes sense. Cause that's the stuff we were listening to at the time. Absolutely. So, um, for me, um, I will, I will second Aaron on, uh, and Shane on the bullet boys. I loved their live stream the other day. Monsters really Rock good. Cruise, shout out to those, to those people that are putting those together. Please keep doing those because those are great. Um, and one that actually stuck out for me, I actually paid for this because Eclipse in Sweden did a, a live concert in a studio and it was like eight bucks, but it was totally worth it. It was great. They even played a new song, which was awesome. So, um, I've enjoyed those. Uh, also our good friend Tyson Leslie, who puts together oh, yeah. the rare hair shows. Um, he does, Live playing and does cover songs, takes requests. Um, love what he's been doing. There's been a lot of great ones. That, you so know, it's hard talented. to keep up with them all, but um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So I, I appreciate all the artists that are like basically learning how to live with the times and change that way. So I appreciate it. I was so impressed with Mark Torine from Bullet Boys. Man, that dude. You know, he's he's not a young kid anymore, but he could still freaking wail. Yep. It's just so cool to see those guys playing together again. And that's the cool thing about that, too, is, like, that's pretty intimate. And that's pretty, uh, oh, how do you say it? You you, it, you leave yourself pretty vulnerable in performing in a setting like that because you can't hide behind the sound of the crowd. Yeah. You know, in a concert, live event, mistakes are made mostly unnoticed because of the roar of the crowd or the, at least the sound of the crowd. But when you're up there totally naked, silence and you're just busting out a song, that takes a lot of guts, and I respect the hell out of anybody that does that. Yeah, and also, I mean, that, you know, Aaron and I, you you, you and I did the um, the albums Unleashed with Mick Sweeta and Toby for that first record, and at the time, they were not speaking to each other, and you could tell in that interview that Mick wanted to get back together with those guys, so it's really awesome to see those guys get back together and play those songs again yeah for sure and not only did he want to get back to it he was kind of needed there as well yeah yeah definitely great guitar mix Sweet is an amazing guitar player all right uh let's go to grayson gallegos who says what's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done <laughs> i do spontaneous <laughs> shit all the time uh-huh I don't. I can't even pin one down. You know, just yeah. I I get I get a little thrill out of just doing spontaneous things. It drives my wife completely nuts. But I don't know. Um, I think about the time we were at the Zanies, and I seen speaking to Ryan Cook, Ryan over there talking to Mark Slaughter, and we'd been wanting to get Mark Slaughter on the show for a long time. And since I knew Mark was standing there with somebody I knew. I just jumped up out of I, I didn't even think about it. Like I would have thought maybe I should go over there and, you know, walk up at the right time, you know, while Ryan's there and surely he'll introduce me. No, I just jumped up off my seat and ran over there and Ryan said, Oh, Mark, have you met Aaron? Aaron's from Decibel Geek. Boom. And off it went, you know, and I, I just get a kick out of doing stuff like that. But like I said, drives my wife nuts. I'm a very, very spontaneous person. I, I'm going to steal your answer because that was a chance for. For you and I to clear the air with Mark over the whole Vinnie Vincent thing, <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was a little awkward, but it was good to talk to him. And uh, yeah, I, you know, Decibel Geek has kind of forced both of us out of our comfort comfort zone in a lot of ways. So um, 
I'm shy by nature, so it's been it's been nice to it's been nice to kind of like go out on a limb at certain times and talk to people. So yeah, I mean, even just doing Decibel Geek in general, it's been nice to to like kind of take it go out on a limb and take chances. You know, what about you, Shane? One one that comes to mind. I mean, I've done a lot of spontaneous things, man. I'm I'm older than you guys by a few years, and been around the moon a couple of different times, or around the sun. I hope I've never been around the moon. Maybe both. Um, there was this, you know, during the edge of, you know, the end of the grunge and everything, and every every town had a X channel, like X one hundred two or X one hundred three, and and they they played all of the alternative quote unquote music. Yeah, and there was one of those fests that came to Fort Wayne, and my wife, the Mrs. Fuger, uh, the wonderful Jana Paisley, and myself, we had taken um, some of her nieces and nephews to the show, and it, for some of them, it was the first show, it was the first concert, and it had bands like Hole and um, you know just just other bands of the sort. Well, I got pretty bored of it pretty quick, and of course had a few you know had a few brewskis in me. And got bored, and I said, well, I'm going to walk walk around. And I ended up, I'm just going to go through this door. I'm going to go through that door. I'm going to go through that curtain. And anybody who approaches me, I'm going to pretend like I belong there. <laughs> Work like a charm. Next thing I know, I'm in a catering room with pie and fruit and champagne and booze and beer. And I'm like, holy crap, man, I hit the mecca. <laughs> and I'm like. I got to remember my way out of this labyrinth. So I, I remembered my way back and I grabbed my best friend, Mike, my wife, Jana. And we, I said, follow me, but pretend like you are supposed to be here. And somehow I found my way back and dude, we proceeded to just rip a courtesy room to shreds. We ate all of a lot of pie, a lot of fruit, <laughs> drank a ton of beer um, drank champagne, did shots of vodka, wow. and it was. Um, I don't want to mention the name of the band because I don't want to indict you or myself um, <laughs> for something that might or may not be a crime. But she had a close knit relationship with somebody in one of the biggest alternative grunge bands we know. I think you already um, gave it away. <laughs> I didn't give anything away. <laughs> I plead the fifth. But anyway, that was pretty spontaneous because it just kind of happened. And as many spontaneous things as I've done, that was a pretty fun one. And to be able I to see her face when she came in air, and said, where's all my pie? I ate so-and-so's pie. <laughs> oh, no. Now it sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, it sounds downright disgusting. But that's, uh, that is that's pretty spontaneous. one of the most spontaneous things. And this entire story will be edited out. <laughs> no way. That's awesome. I'm just going right, to walk go. in here <laughs> and eat all the pie and invite all my friends to have what's left. <laughs> can, I give you a three, can I give you a three, two, one, and you edit this out? Uh, sure, you can, but I probably won't. Okay. Three, two, one. A, Courtney loves pie. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to lead off the episode with that sound. Yeah, I think the uh, statute of limitations is probably up on that. You'll be all right. And then she had you murdered. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I did see her walk by me all sweaty and drenched coming off the stage. And then 
at the time, we had already eaten all the pie, most of the fruit, drank most of the alcohol. Uh, some stage manager comes in and is like, where's your passes? And I'm like, <laughs> we've been back here for hours. And he's like, well, you're going to have to leave. And I said, no, man, we're back here. And he was like, no, you're going to have to leave. And I said, fine. <laughs> So, uh, Lee McCormick, our good friend from Canada, wants to know what have you, what do you have pre-ordered? Are you holding on to any concert tickets? I'm a lazy ass, and I always wait till the last minute. So, thankfully, that worked out in my favor. Sitting on some plane tickets, I can't use, but other than that, no. I am holding on to strut tickets. Um, that was supposed to be in Fort Wayne in June, and that has now been pushed back till August or September. Um, I also have Coheed and Cambria tickets for Fort Wayne in September. And my wife, uh, Mrs. Fuger, has tickets for Alanis set, which was supposed to be in, I believe, June or July. And that has been indefinitely postponed until they come up with a new date. So, yeah, man, we're, we're sitting on a few. But we also held off on a few because we realized what was going to go on. And... Uh, so hopefully everything we're sitting on get, gets rescheduled. Um, as far as pre-order, I have a really awesome gift coming for my wife, but she's in the same house, so I cannot mention what is on its way. Uh, I did message you guys, so hopefully you guys see what I sent. But that's that's about all I've got. You know, we're kind of holding tight to see what the new normal is going to be and. Whether we can put on adult diapers and, and stand six feet of people away, away from each other. So we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, gotcha. and irregardless of the Alanis Morissette, I still think your wife is a super awesome chick. Yeah. Well, she appreciates that. And by the way, she wanted to uh, tell you guys hello and that she loved you and that she sends you love, uh, her love to you guys and your wives. No, oh, that's uh, awesome. I you guys are the coolest. Uh, so, yeah, so it's like having Atlantis tickets and being stuck in the middle of a global <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> no, no. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey. This has gone off the rails. We've been talking about Dave Matthews. We've been talking about Courtney Love. We've been talking about this is, yeah, not good. Aren't you, aren't you glad I'm asking the questions? Um, Jody Havnot from Podcast Rock City says, All right, Shane, what is the very best Coheed and Cambria album and song? Okay, this is very hard. This was the one question I struggled with so much. And, you know, whether you guys are fans or not, that, it, that's not here and there. there. Um, I love Coheed and Cambria. Next to Kiss, Coheed is my next obsession. Wow. Um, every single record of theirs I love for a different reason. But I have to go back to the very first song, the very first album I ever heard from them at a local record store, Wood Nickel, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, plug, plug. Um, they had, in keeping secrets of Silent Earth 3, up on the listening stand. I'm like, what kind of name is that? Uh, Coheed and who? So, of course, I had a dip my toe in to see who they were because i'm all i'm like i'm a kamikaze music finder sometimes i just i have to see if it has got a cool name or a cool album cover i'm gonna listen to it and i put it on and the first song was in keeping secrets of silenter that is my favorite song my favorite album only because it's the first introduction they, i've heard them open 
shows with that song and close shows with that song. I've seen it in the middle of the set. That song, 100%, hands down, always slays the entire crowd singing, the entire crowd in unison, the entire crowd as one. It's amazing. It's a phenomenon. It's a feeling. I get goosebumps just telling you about it. I wish everyone could have that experience with a band or a song, and I'm sure everyone does. But that was a perfect question, and that's my answer. That's right. wild. I don't know nothing about the Coheed and Cambria. Just, on your recommendation, maybe I'll have to give that a listen. It's kind you of have a, to. You have to. Kind of, kind of a heavy metal rush, I guess is the best way I can put it. Okay. I really thought they had a lot of rush influence when I when I first heard them. I was like, oh, my God, this sounds like young Getty Lee with a progressive metal act. Yeah. And the more I got into them, the farther away that got from them. Hmm. It, yeah. it, they just have their own voice. Oh, my God. Just amazing. Hands down. Great songwriting. But a lot of people can't acclimate themselves to Claudio's vocals. But I say give it a shot, man. If you don't like it, that's okay. Um, but it could also be the most amazing trip of your life because it's all a concept. Everything's a concept. So once you get into one record, it leads to five more. And it's yeah. just amazing. Just wow. amazing. Cool. All right, uh, and Jody had a second question. Can we all just meet in a parking lot somewhere in Nashville for a few hours in August? Um, uh, maybe. Let's see how things go. We might try to do something for people that can make it, but uh, otherwise Rocket Pod will be on track for August of 2021. I would love that. I want to get some hot chicken with all of you guys, man. I want to get some hot chicken. Well, maybe we can have a get-together. Uh, hey, you know what? Right before we started recording, I just saw that Nashville is the first city to open up live performances. Oh, really? It's at 75% capacity for the venue, and there can only be two musicians on stage. So welcome the new kings of music city, Local H. <laughs> or the White Stripes. They're our new home band. Oh, boy. They come here and make a fortune for a week or two before everybody else does it. <laughs> all right um gino ames says what would be your dream concert pick three bands for it and it must be viable choice not i.e no dead musicians no dead musicians um What's let me go first now? real quick okay go for it uh i would go with eclipse because i love them i would go with i'd still go with metallica because i think they put on a great show and Shit, who would fit in the third spot? Um, shit, I'll go on to one of you guys. I'm, I'm having a brain freeze. All right, I'm ready. This is going to be awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, this Saturday night, are you ready? Aaron Camaro presents Reunion Fest. That's right, hitting the stage first, along with Chips Enough's band. It's Donnie V and Chips Enough reunited for the first time in many years in a live environment it's enough's enough. And up next on the bill, it's been a long time. People have wanted it forever. And now it's finally happening tonight. 
It's the reunion of Sebastian Bach and Skid Row and the headliner. For one night only, KISS, the originals, Peter Chris, Ace Fraley, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and all their exploding, blood-spitting, guitar-smoking glory. It's Aaron Camaro Presents Reunion Fest this Saturday night. I'm shocked. Yeah, I love it. I'm there. I'm promoting well, it. I'm still buying that. a front row like, ticket. <laughs> how how am I supposed to follow that other than we'll sell you the whole seat, but you only need the edge. <laughs> um, yeah. <sure>. You'll <laughs> um, have to reunite your ass with the seat when it's over. <laughs> um, first off, I go Nickelback. What? Creed. Um. Yeah, nipple, nippleback, nippleback. Nippleback. No. <laughs> Guys, I'm just fucking with you. I would never do that. Um, but gonna murder I, you. Over the year, over this past year, the the shows that I've really loved, and I know I brought up the Struts, and they are pop, man. They're glam '70s pop. They're Queen pop. I get it, but they're awesome. I mean, if anyone has ever seen them live, they are so phenomenal. I'm going to go with you. What's that? I'm going to go with you because I saw them a year ago and they were amazing. I mean, if you didn't even know them, four songs in, you're you're with them. And and that's the way the front man is. He just gets you going. So my my three, and I, I'm with you a little bit on this, is, is Metallica, Clutch, The Struts. And if I got to give an honorable mention here, I saw Prong about six months, seven months ago, and they were just hands down amazing nice. um so basically metallica clutch the struts i mean uh, they clutch is probably is never going to be a poster band um you're never going to put them on the wall and you will never identify one of them maybe neil in, in public but oh my god do they put on a great show they're awesome one of the most unsung bands out there i think I appreciate that. All right. James West wants to know what concert out of all of you guys have seen had the most talented musicians together that day slash night. For me, it was the G3 tour from 20, 2003 with Yngwie, Vi, and Satriani. So much crazy talent between them and their bands. Vi's band included Billy Sheehan and Tony McAlpine. Wow. Um, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's hard to really go off like who technically was the best. I mean, if I'm really going to go technically who was the best, the Wooten Brothers show that I used to see on a weekly basis at 3rd and Lindsley in Nashville. But um, as far as memorable shows, I have to go with the Gibson Guitars 100th Anniversary show in 1994. You know, Kiss headlined with the Bruce and Eric lineup. They were at the top of their game. Fleetwood Mac, as I mentioned earlier, Mother Station, and also... Brother Kane, who uh, really only had got no shame out with Damon Johnson um, right and Pat Tra- and also Pat Travers' band, so oh, wow. you had a hell of a lot of talent in one bill in that show. Boy, that's hard to top too. Woof. Shane, I don't have an answer. What do you got? I, I I've got an easy one, man. An absolutely easy one. Winery dogs at a small venue here in Fort Wayne. There might have been. Sadly enough, 150, maybe 250 people in the venue. And I got to see Richie Kotzen, Billy Sheehan, and Mike Portney just kill it on stage. And 
I mean, those albums are amazing. You know, like them or not, that's a lot of talent up on one stage just for three people. That's a good one. We got to interview Billy on that tour, actually, um, right before their show. And super nice guy, incredibly talented. Uh, but that was a pretty good one. Uh, here's my favorite question that was submitted. This is from Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock podcast. He says, does the Mooger Booger remember any of Rock and Pod 3? I'm guessing no. <laughs> Hey, oh, is he so wrong? I remember this like it was 16 years ago. It was at in Florida at the Seattle Space Needle, and Sugar Ray did the pre-party, bitch. I remember it. He was there. If you think I booked Sugar Ray, then you have a lot of problems. (laughs) Was it Nickelback? Now listen, Sugar Ray, I'm going to book you for this, but you can only play songs off your first album. There's good songs on the first record? Yeah, there are. I wouldn't know. I'm telling <laughs> no, you, to be, this has to come up in the past. Honest, let me be a man and answer this question straight on. It, it's uh, Stephen has a very good point. I was in a bad spot. I was in a dark spot. And yeah, man, I was intoxicated. Bad. That entire Rock and Pod 3. But <laughs> and, I rock, and Rock and Pod 2 and Rock and Pod 1. No, no. One, I was good. I was solid one. A um, little bit worse on two. Three, forget about it. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I re- I have a lot of great memories from it. And as always, man, you guys put so much work into each one of those. And I tell you, then, you know, intoxicated and blocked out or not, whatever, you know, I'm only human and having a good time or not having a good time. I mean, you guys put so much work into that, and it was very much appreciated. And you guys have always treated us so nice. And you guys really went above and beyond last year. It was such a great experience. I got to meet Michael Sweet. I got to meet Dave Ellison. Um, I actually got to sit down and have coffee with Ryan Cook um, for about two seconds. And, you know, all of that sober, by the way. And, you know, Sonny Hollywood Pooney gave me shit, and so does Stephen Michael, but I love those guys to death, and I love what they do on their podcast, and I love what you guys do with the Rockin' Pod, and so, you know, in all seriousness, man, I, I just really appreciate everything you guys do. And no matter how buzzed up you were, and even if you don't re- remember it, I can tell you, you were a lot of fun to be around. That's what they say about Ruben. That's my. You know, that's what happens when I and I don't remember. Ruben comes out. So. Ruben. <laughs> so next time it might be and the Mooger Ruben. All right, here's the. This is a good one. Eric Jordan RMCP wants to know what's your favorite concert home video. He says examples: Murderous Metal Roadshow, Raising Hell, etc. For me. If I'm going to go just purely concerts, still Kiss Animalized Live Uncensored. Yeah. I, I wore that one out. Um, but if I'm not including concerts, I still got to say the Pantera Vulgar video is still one of my favorites. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that one either. Um, the Murderous Metal Roadshow he brings up is one of my all-time favorites. I uh, bought the album, the double album, off my Uncle Bruce, and he had the video cassette. And he didn't want to sell the video cassette, but I asked him if I could borrow it, and I kept it for a long, long time until he finally came around, pinned me down, and said, give me back my VHS tape. And I finally had to give it back to him, but I didn't want to. Um, Yeah, Kiss Animalized, Live on Central, I wore that out. The Skid Row 
both of them. Oh, say can you scream and roadkill? I love yeah. both of those. Those are great. Man, I yeah, got a bunch I, of them here. I gotta, I gotta uh, concur with the um, oh, say can you scream? That was amazing. Um, it was kind of a docu, you know, documentary along with the concert. If I have to go like non-concert, <laughs> this is dating me, but Kiss Exposed was the first VHS of any band that was doing anything like that at the time to me. Yeah, me and too. I know that was the Asylum era. And it was just, I couldn't get enough because they were showing old classic Kiss clips I had never seen. And, of course, I grew up primarily in non-makeup kiss, and they were showing the cool makeup kiss. And that was just so amazing to me. And then if you just, any one of the Pantera, one, two, or three, those were (laughs) all amazing. Um, Every one of those I can watch multiple times. Mick Watkins says, uh, what are your top three favorite pizza restaurants, and what is your favorite kind of pizza? Well, for me, and I've been at this job for a little over a year now, but I've been working for restaurants in downtown Nashville, and I thought I loved pizza before, but we got a place here in Nashville called Emmy Squared, and I guess there's one in New York, too, maybe one in Washington, D.C., but this pizza is out of this freaking world. Now, the first time I looked at a menu, I didn't recognize a lot of the uh, ingredients on some of the pizzas. It's kind of fancy. So I just asked for a pepperoni pizza with extra cheese, and it was amazing. I love pizza across the board. Um, There are some that are totally escaping my mind right now. Um, I probably couldn't tell you. Um, there are a couple places in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that are amazing. Vince's. Vince's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania has some of the most amazing pizza I've ever had in my life. Here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I mean, we have something called B. Antonio's. They make a good pie. And anything like 800-degree pizza where they make the pizza pretty quick and you pick out your own toppings, that's good. But, man, I'm a pizza connoisseur. You throw a pie in front of me, I'll probably like it. You guys got Marco's Pizza up there? Yes. Marco's Pizza's got this thing called White Cheesy. It's with the white pizza sauce. It's really freaking good. I like Marco's, too. So, for me, pizza is like my favorite food on the planet. So, I have uh, strong opinions on this one. Uh, If I have to go local for Nashville... There's a place called Angelo's Picnic Pizza. It's people from Brooklyn that's, that came down to Nashville to start up a pizza place. They are the best in Nashville easily. But I spent a couple of years in Chicago, and I fell in love with the pizza up there. There was a place in a strip mall called Little Italy that was right by my house that I loved. And then for as far as big chains from Chicago, Geno's East uh, is probably the best of the best. What is the pizza that's kind of like a pie, where it's got crust on top and crust on the bottom and just loaded full of cheese and meat in the middle? Well, I mean, Chicago pizza is more like a pie, but it's deep dish because it's got more of the toppings on the bottom and then the sauce is put on the top. And that might be what you're thinking of. Yeah, I like that stuff. Yeah, it's like really, really thick. Yeah, lots of cheese. 
Uh, for for chain restaurants, I will say Jets is pretty damn good. Jets is pretty good. I like their barbecue pizza. Yeah, a lot of thick crust. Uh, let's see. Ian Wadley <laughs> says, name a musician who should never be allowed to record or perform again, and why did you pick Sammy Hagar? <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, let me break this up, man. What is the beef against Sammy? I might have missed it. What is your beef against Mr. Hagar? I think it all roots back to the fact that nobody can replace David Lee Roth. <laughs> exactly. Nobody can replace David Lee Roth. And no matter who would have been put in that position, would have gotten the kind of response that Sammy Hagar has gotten. But yet Sammy Hagar went in there and kind of owned it and believed that he was doing better than David Lee Roth. And so that made it even harder to accept Sammy Hagar, I think, maybe. Okay. Am I, I right or am that. I wrong? Uh, or is, is Sammy guilty of something else? That I see where you're coming from on that, Aaron. Absolutely, because he kind of kind of came away from that a little a little cocky, like, "Hey, man, I saved Van Halen." No, you didn't. You just became the different face for Van Halen for a minute. Um, but man, I, I just don't see anything wrong with the guy personally. But um, <laughs> go, what do you think, Chris? Uh, I'm not a big Sammy fan, to be honest with you. But um, if I had to guess, um, I don't know, for like the genre we're talking about, and I hate to say this, but I would, at this point in time, I would probably say to Paul Stanley, I think he should have hung it up a long time ago. If I'm not picking hard rock or metal, I would say Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim? Is he yeah. even still alive? I don't know, but he sucked when he was. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I'm not far off with you from there. I get you. I get you. <laughs> I'd never understood the appeal of Tiny Tim. This is going to make the Mooger Fooger really sad, but I'm going to say Dave Matthews. <laughs> ah, what? What? <laughs> what did you say? So, thank you, Aaron, for bringing you know, balance a monkey on back, my back the or universe. doggy on the string. What? Huh? Balance, has, balance has been achieved. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keith Rockford wants to know, what are your thoughts on 80 rock, 80s rock bands doing grunge albums in the early 90s? Example, Warrant with Ultraphobic and Belly to Belly and Dockin' with Dysfunctional and Shadow Life. Hmm. Some of those Can are I my favorite albums by those bands. Yeah, like Warrant's Belly to Belly has got some amazing songs on it. Ultraphobic is a really good album. Dysfunctional is right up there with my favorite Dockin' albums. So some of these bands that were kind of, I don't know, it was like it, they were still them with no expectations is the way I kind of looked at those bands, especially Warren at that time because they came out with both those albums in that era and were totally different than the Warrant that you saw in the Cherry Pie video. So the way I looked at it was here's a band with no expectations. They're not anybody's priority at the record label anymore. They are not expected to hit big on the charts. They can do whatever they want. And I think there's some, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's so much that they were following the trends or if they were just like doing a stripped down version of what, one, what they could afford, and two, what they really truly were. There's some of that stuff on those albums I think are some of the best songs Warren ever came out with 
Songs that nobody ever hears. You've heard Cherry Pie a million times. You've heard Heaven a million times. But you ought to give these other albums that came out in the 90s that nobody was buying a chance, if you can find them nowadays. Amen. I agree with you, Aaron. Um, you know, to go on, to kind of expand with that, you had Warrant. I mean, we all know Dog Eat Dog was an amazing record. And yes. it just came out at the wrong time and it didn't have a cherry pie but it had some of his most prolific work in my opinion definitely on it and i thought ultraphobic was an amazing record overall i think production wise it failed a little bit but you know that was a sign of the time so they didn't have the funding um belly to belly i was probably one of four people who liked that record um, and if you even go back with like dysfunctional, that was all music that was written around the back for the attack days. It, it wasn't like they were writing, trying to be grunge that that's the music that had been sitting in the vaults for a while. Um, and it, it, I'm sorry, I'm going to go all Stewart on everybody here, but winger pull that record was amazing. And it was just some of their best work was coming out at the end of what was the career because there were so many hair bands flooding the market. And if anybody ever asked the question, did grunge kill hair, you know, the hair band movement? No, hair bands killed themselves because it was getting redundant. But the ones that that were really good, like the Warrants, like the Cinderella's, like the Dawkins uh, and like the Wingers that really talented musicians, creative people were coming out with great music. And it got buried because of the new movement. That's my long-winded answer. Definitely. Okay. And I'd, I'd throw love-hate into that because they were coming out with some of their best stuff at that Amazing point. Amazing band. Tough Amazing came band. out with Religious Fix, which wasn't like what had brought them to the table. It was completely different. Way heavier, way stripped down in one of my all-time favorite albums. There's so many bands. Ugly Kid Joe, Menace to Sobriety was coming out at that time. You know, there's a lot of bands that made names for themselves in the late 80s that came out with some of their best stuff in the 90s. But again, nobody was buying it at that point. And I would I would tend to agree because I think it's a, it's almost a case of and I'm this is maybe a hot take or whatever you want to call it, but you had bands that kind of like were maybe coasting on their image. Like, you know, Shane, you brought up Winger's Pull. Or, um, but like then there were other, other bands like Warrior Soul and uh, Tora Tora and Roxy Perfect. Blue. And a lot of these, and Wild Side, and bands where they realized very quickly that they couldn't get by on just the look anymore. And it forced them, or Tough with a Religious Fix. It was like you you have to actually dig down deep and come up with good material. And I hate to say it, but nine times out of ten, that didn't work. But or Kiss with Carnival of Souls. Yeah, I th I honestly think musically it was kind of a golden age of rock, where or you know Doc and Dysfunctional. You had albums that actually, if you just look at it musically and not think about oh it's Doc and putting out a record in the mid nineties. It's actually good quality material. Warrant, belly to belly, ultraphobic, good records. Now they may not have sold what they should have, but in hindsight, it's one of those things. I guess I could call it 
it's the golden age of rock in hindsight. Right, Motley ne- Crew '94. Yeah, it didn't necessarily sell at the time, but those albums are actually looked upon upon the people, you know, by the people that actually dug into them as really good records. So um, the early '90s was actually a really strong time for releases that came out. They may not have sold that well, but when you look at it in hindsight, they are respectable, you know, pieces of output. I really like the way you put that about how a band, you know, maybe before had relied on their image or how good they looked in an MTV music video. But now the videos are gone, so it doesn't matter how pretty you are or how cool you are or how awesome your leather vest is. Now you got to rely on your songs. And that's yeah. what a lot of those bands did. And you, yeah, it was like put up or shut up time for a lot of these bands. And, and honestly, a lot of them answered the bell really well. It didn't make a difference sales wise, but. As far as what you listen to now, when you listen to it, you're like, wow, that's like Religious Fix. I'm not a tough fan by any means. I know Aaron is, but Religious Fix is a damn strong record. So, I mean, you have to look at it that way. And, you know, there was a a lot of good material released during those years. But uh, let's go to uh, another fun question. David P. Young wants to know Metallica's Reload from 97 Versus Megadeth's Risk from 99. What do you guys think? Hmm. It was tough times to be a Metallica fan, especially if you were, you know, a fan of the early stuff, everything before it. Because when these albums came out, the Black Album was kind of a buffer to it. But, man, when this came out, it it was tough for me, especially as a Metallica fan, to go, wait a minute, what happened to this band that I really respected? You know, they're so weird and different now. With that being said, Reload is still better than Risk. Not by much. Shane? Well, okay, here's where I stand. Um, Of course, when the Black Album came out, I was used to the thrash and Justice for All. I'm like, what is this? But it was still super heavy, and the production was really good. Yeah. Um, And we all grabbed onto that. Every one of us did. uh, I speak for myself on that. But when Load came out, I could get two shits about, oh, they cut their hair and they're big and wearing big collars and they got artsy cover and whatever. If the music's there, the music's there. I don't care what they look like. And I really enjoyed a lot of the songs on Load. I did not enjoy the production. I thought somehow the production had gotten really flat. The the bass was no longer there. Um, the crunch of a guitar was no longer there. And there were plenty of songs where that could have existed. And I just thought that the entire bottom end was taken out of that record. I don't know why. You'd have to ask Bob Rock. Maybe to meet the more alternative radio lifestyle that was going on at the time. And they didn't want to blow any speakers. I don't know. But I really love songs like Ain't My Bitch. I think it's a very solid record, about 60 to 75%. It almost kind of beckons back to the last thing we talked about, about how the the bands of the 80s transitioning into the 90s. Well, Metallica was kind of doing that, too, a little bit later on. But it really boils down to not so much the quality of the songs, because the quality of the songs are there. But a really a lot, it falls onto the production. Look at Carnival of Souls, awesome songs. Love Toby Wright and what he did with Corn and everything, and he did exactly what Kiss asked them asked him to do. 
but the production is a different kind of production than the glossy over the top kind of stuff you're you're used to and that falls perfectly in a metallica right there the difference in production between black and reload is night and day yeah well you know it's funny you bring up carnival souls by tubby wright you know i was like one of the people that downloaded the bootleg version of that when it came out and i wasn't happy with it initially because it sounded it was like the seventh or eighth generation of what you heard on a cassette tape right but um the other day i actually listened to it on headphones really loud while i was working and i very much enjoyed it so um it actually had more of a better production feel than i remembered it having but to get back to the original question reload versus risk um, this is the equivalent of asking if you'd want syphilis or gonorrhea. Um, both albums are terrible. <laughs> um, I don't like either record at all. <sighs> Shit. Wow. I guess I would have to, I would have to give it to reload because the songs themselves are better. Yes. But, uh, both albums are terrible. And it's funny. Like if you watch some kind of monster, like the whole scene, it's famously called the fuck scene with Lars and James having the meeting where Lars keeps going, fuck, fuck. And at that, during that meeting, even James says, you know, I guess we could just put out whatever and produce it like we did with reload or re or, uh, with load or reload, which basically is them admitting that they'd given up by that point. And like, they put it out just to have product out, which makes it almost even worse that Megadeth calculatedly put out risk with Dan Huff producing, Dan Huff from Giant, which is a great underrated 80s band, but it's not a Megadeth record. But I have to say, the the material on Metallica Reload is better than Risk, but not by much. Um, both albums are terrible, in my opinion. There are good songs on both, but right. I have there to are. agree. Like If you were to look at high points of the record careers, not it. Not it. No. Um, S- I love the grooviness and the kind of drop D grudginess of reload between load and reload. They found the bottom end somehow and, and reload has got some just creepy swampy, good drop D tunes, but really doesn't feel like Metallica to me. And it, it just, it just, I agree with you, Chris, man. It just kind of falls short. Um, uh, it's a cash grab. I was just listening to a rivaling podcast, if I can mention the name. We have rivals. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, the uh, Shout It Out Loud cast. And I like love those, those guys. guys. Yeah, we're yeah, not rivals. Those guys are good guys. And they were doing a, a kind of a retrospective on the load era. And it brought up the memories of, okay, is this really Metallica? Is it not Metallica? And everything went into the look. What do you think of their hair? What do you think? Well, who cares about the image, man? I just want to pop in the CD and jam out. And I didn't feel I could do that to either one of the CDs. There was so much filler on both of them. Good songs on both CDs. But it was almost like a Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. They Mm -hmm. take those two, combine them, take the best songs and up the production a little bit, and I think it would have been a little bit more salvageable and a little bit better in, uh, in Metallica fans' minds had they done that. I agree. Yeah. That's, my opinion. That. That's my opinion. Well, I mean, the fact that they called it Reload told you everything you needed to know. 
you know, it, that it was that it was just leftovers. All right, um, Matt Weller's dick wants to know: Kill Mary or fuck? Eighties Heather Thomas for eighties Christy Brinkley and twenty twenty Ian Wadley. So we all know we're all going to kill Ian Wadley. So who would you marry or fuck? He's a dead man. Big shout out to Doublelis in Penetrationicus podcast. <laughs> The show where they get together, talk rock and roll, one girl, two hosts, see where it goes. <laughs> Am I supposed to answer this? <laughs> well, I mean, I would I would uh, marry Heather Thomas and I would fuck Christy Brinkley. I guess I'll agree with that. What are you doing with Ian Wadley? I would kill oh, him. He died last week, didn't you hear? <laughs> I have no idea who Ian Wadley is. What? So, I guess I'll kill him, marry Christy Brinkley, and fuck Heather Thomas. All right. There you have it. All right. Uh, so, Eric Luzier says, when you look at the 80s glam rock bands now and then, what are your thoughts now compared to back then on how they looked? I would say, I mean, it looked fine for the time, but it's pretty embarrassing now. I disagree with that. I think they looked awesome back then. I think it's cool now. I mean, look at me. This is how I am. This is how I like to be. So obviously my answer is they look cool as hell. And it still affects me to this very day. I found a CD today by a band called Shooting Gallery. I'd never heard of them before. I thought, okay, this this is a $2 CD. So I look at it, and it's got like kind of a metal-looking cover on it. I go, okay. So I flip it over. There's a picture of the band on the back. They look cool as fuck, so I bought it. And guess what? It's actually pretty damn good. So to me, the image is important, you know, when it comes to making decisions like that. Like, should I take a $2 chance on this CD I've never heard of? Well, these guys all have long hair. They all got leather jackets on. They look pretty cool. I'll give it a shot. So to me, still to this day, I look back on those bands. I think they look cool as hell then. And still to this day, I still look back at that and think they look cool as hell. Now, a band like Pretty Boy Floyd or Nitro or somebody, maybe a little too far. But still, you know, anything up to that point, I love it. I wish people still look like that, especially the girls. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you, Aaron. There was a time and a place for everything, and there was a time and a place for that. Uh, I'm going to date myself. I was born in 74, so by the time... The glam scene was really hitting. I was, you know, I was in my early teens. And I remember looking at the best four chicks I'd ever seen on something called Look What the Cat Drags It. I thought, <laughs> oh, this band's got to be great. There's a bunch of chicks. And they're beautiful. But that was my, yeah, first introduction to uh, the 80s glam scene. And I will tell you one, one that kind of like threw me it was i was like flipping through the vinyl my favorite you know vinyl store when i was a little kid and i saw cinderella night songs and i'm like oh my god look at all this teased hair spandex purple these guys gotta be like poison and sure enough i picked it up bit at home dropped the needle and i'm like who who stole this band why do they sound like acdc and so that, that that's just another end of it, where the glam the glam look was perfect for the time, and it definitely played into the time. But sometimes it was deceiving. Like Shock on the Sire had teased hair on their album covers, but they were anything but glam. 
Yeah, and I like it when a band is up on stage and it's something special. You know, they're different than the people in the crowd watching it. It kind of comes back to the same thing with me with wrestling. You know, it's like the performers should be something more than, you know, it should be something special, something you're not going to see walking down the street every day. Yeah. But that's me, uh, you know, and that's that's the way I am too. And I think, speaking of it, since we need a playout song at the end of the show, I'm going to find something on this CD shooting gallery, and that's what I'm going to use. Andy McCoy is in this band. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I believe they opened for Kiss during the reunion tour, if I remember right. It's pretty cool. I like it. Cool. And if they, I, I, if they'd have been, been a bunch of Dave Matthews-looking guys, I probably wouldn't have got it. Preach. <laughs> Uh, what do you guys think of the band Nitro? That's what Rich Love wants to know. Um, I guess the best thing about Nitro was that they formed that band and it freed up a spot in a band called Tough for Stevie Rochelle to join and make that band so much more awesome. So thumbs up to Nitro. Uh, I will say that they made Vinnie Vincent Invasion look calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> you can't deny Michelangelo Badio, though, that freaking guitar player. He's amazing. Oh, no. He's incredibly talented. I will give him that. Uh, Matt Weller's Dick also wants to know, what's your favorite Poison album song and member? Bonus, what is your favorite Poison album cover art? Hmm. I guess for me, my favorite album is Crack a Smile. Yep. Wow. My favorite song, hmm. I like Face the Hangman. I like Love on the Rocks. I like the title track off the first one, Look What the Cat Dragged In. I like them hard rocking songs because my favorite member of Poison, even though my favorite album is Crack a Smile, my favorite member is CeCe DeVille because I, as much as everybody loves to talk shit about CeCe DeVille, I think he just freaking rips and is an awesome yeah. guitar player. Album art, I'd have to say, you know, the, the go-to would be open up and say, ah, because of the crazy chick with the long tongue and the tiger makeup and all that and the crazy eyes. But that first album, and, and we just talked about it a second ago, pretty iconic. Four faces, they look like chicks, really hot chicks, and <laughs> all airbrushed up. And I remember, same thing with you, Mooger Fooger. I got that album on cassette tape, and my mom saw it because it was one of the – I think it was the first one I really went to the store and bought brand new with my own money. And she looked at it and said, oh, they're pretty. And I was like, those are dudes. Like, yeah, okay. So, yeah, you know, big Poison fan. I'm right behind you and I'm right in sync with you. For me, um, favorite uh, album is also Crack a Smile. I think when you compare the whole discography – it's the strongest record they ever did, even though it's Blue Saracino and guitar. There's not but a bad song say, on it. Oh, it's great from top to bottom. And I will say my favorite Poison song is Love on the Rocks. I yeah. still think that song could have been a great Kiss song. Oh, yeah. Um, it has oh, yeah. a very Ace Fraley-ish riff. Hmm. And CC to this day is always my favorite member. He CC was one of the first guitar heroes I ever had. And, like, the B.C. Rich skull guitar he had in the Nothing But a Good Time video yeah. was, like, one of the first first guitars that I lusted after. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's my answer on that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have very fond memories of getting into Poison when I was very young. 
you know, talking about things that my parents would look at me like there's probably something wrong with me when I had that, and that was big. I showed them a picture of C.C. DeVille in Metal Edge, and I was like, that's how I want to grow my hair. They're like, yeah. It's a trick. Okay. Well, and I got to say, for my uh, album art, the uncensored opens up and say, ah, cover it. You can't top that one. Yep. I had that on LP, but I had the stinking censored one with just the eyes on it. I hated it. Really? Yep. I had the same, same one. Well, guys, as far as that question goes, it's not going to be a popular answer. <laughs> my favorite Poison record, hands down, is Native Tongue. Oh, no. I know. I know. I know <laughs> I would get shit for this one. There's some great um, songs on that, I love Richie Cotton. I love what he brought to the band. One of my favorite songs from that album is Fire and Ice. Yep. It, until you suffer some fire and ice. And I'm sorry. It's just such an emo. I was in an emotional time at that point in my life. That album just completely spoke to me and still being poison for the most part still spoke to me. I missed the hell out of CC. I missed all of that. I missed the fun. I did, but that album still has, I I'm sorry, just has a strange spot in my heart and a very soft spot in my heart. And and I'm just going to leave it at that. And I know it's not a very popular answer, but I'm just an honest dude. But all that being said, um, my, I, you know, I'm with the very first album where I just thought it was four chicks <laughs> and, and, and like really heavy makeup. I thought they were kind of ugly chicks. You know, I thought, well, there's like good one and then, then like three ugly ones. I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just a kind of weird when you're 12 years old looking at something like that so um but yeah the whole glam uh thing i think totally kicked off with them in my eyes and i remember going to national record mart in the mall and and taking ten dollars i'd borrowed off my brother to go get that cassette so it was pretty cool i love it i can't disagree with that either i love that album too i don't think there's anything poison's ever come out with that i just said oh man i hate that even the stuff with Richard Patterson, there's some amazing songs on that Easy. album. Well, Crack a Smile was amazing when it came out, and I got it and had Blue Saracena. That's not that's no joke of a record, man. I think oh. everyone everyone deserves to go back and check it out because I'm sure it's on Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere you can find music, or you know, better yet, pay for it buy it and check it out because i think it's i think it's worth that it's a really good record i agree with yeah. that 100 percent. i've caught a lot of shit for being a hardcore poison fan over the years but you go check out crack a smile listen to that whole thing and tell me that ain't good i tell you yeah. there's something wrong with you not poison yeah exactly. I, st- I still want to interview blue saraceno to do an albums unleashed on that record hell to the yes i am so down with that Mark Carson says, better guest appearance, Eddie Van Halen on Beat It or Kerry King on No Sleep Till Brooklyn? I would say Eddie Van Halen. I don't know. Those are both pretty iconic Kerry. riffs. Kerry. I can't, I can't decide. You mean Kerry King showing how you do not play a guitar solo? Um, but the riff, man. Dun, 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 oh, the riff. Yeah, you got to love that. If uh, Eric Lusier, if you were in prison, which Kiss member would you want to have as a cellmate? Gene Simmons, only if he bails us both out. I was going to say Gene because he would figure out a way to break out of jail. Yeah, he would figure it out or talk us <laughs> right out of that cell. 
What about the question about the dead supergroup? I didn't hear that one. Did I miss that one? Something about uh, putting together a supergroup of people that are dead. Nobody that's alive. I don't remember who asked it, but it was a good question. I thought Eric Carr on drums, Randy Rhodes and Dimebag is my guitar duo, Cliff Burton on bass, and Ronnie James Dio on lead vocals. Oh, sh- shit, it's hard to argue with that. That's the super group right there. You nailed right it, there. Aaron. You just answered I nailed every it. one of us. I just wanted to put that out there. Like, you guys might have missed this question, but here's the answer, and that's it. <laughs> the only drummer I would add it as a almost a southern rock kind of band where they had two drummers, and you're going to have Eric Carter, and you're going to have John Bonham. I'm cool with, with that. The rest of two drummers. What the shit? Why not? Um, Eric Luzier says, in the 80s, which female rock star did you want to be with? Lee Aaron, Joan Jett, Wendy O. Williams, Lita Ford, Janet Gardner from Vixen, or Doro Pesh? As a teenager, I was madly, madly in love with Lita Ford. As an yeah, adult looking too. back, I think I'd want to crack at Wendy O. Williams. She tear you apart, Aaron. That's what I'm saying. Teach me a lesson in metal and love. I, I will say um, <laughs> I, mean, I got I got to interview the woman, I, even though I never told her about my crush, but Jan Kuteman was definitely mine. She was gorgeous. Okay, mine would be <laughs> – I'm older than you guys. Um, you know, let me stop first. you right there for a second, Mooger Fuger. I'm getting about sick of this because you keep talking about how old you are and how much older you are than us and what an old-timer you are. Either you're not that old or I am. I'm not sure. I'm 46. Well, I'm four, I, I'm about to turn. Well, no, I just did turn 45 last week. Hey, everybody, thanks for the four days of birthday wishes, by the way. That was freaking <laughs> awesome. You're welcome. Hey. I was still getting them today. Four days later. I love it. Very serious, really quick, to wrap this last question up for me. I was head over heels for Joan Jett. I was more a Doro Pesh than Alita Ford in the 80s because I just thought Doro Pesh was this fucking hot. Uh, Last question before we get to Beak the Geek. Andrew Tonkin says, what is a band you love that everyone else seems to hate? Which we know that's Dave Matthews for Shane. And what is a band that you hate that everyone What's mine? If you know Shane's is Dave Matthews, what is mine? Uh, tough. No, everybody loves Tough. It's the Violent really? Femmes. Oh, really? I, thought, I didn't know everybody loved Tough. Well, what the hell's wrong with them if they don't? Um, no comment. And yours is Nickelback. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, can I chime in? I've, other than a Dave Matthews here. Yes. Um, what is a band you love that everyone else seems to hate? I am sorry, Chris, and you are going to ban me, and I'll never hear myself on the, the Decibel Geek ever again. Oh, God, he's about I've to tap. I've never had a band, and I wouldn't say I love them, but I've never had a band but. You know, ever had a problem with Tiny Tim? <laughs> <laughs> and I know you hate tipping through the tulips. That that's okay. That's yes. okay. That's I'm going to side with Mooger Fuger on this one, Chris. I don't. I don't think there's nothing wrong with Tiny Tim. What the he, fuck? He may not have been metal, but he was one of a kind, and he did his own thing the way he wanted ukulele, to do it. Man. He rocked that ukulele. Nobody's rocked a ukulele as hard as Tiny Tim, guys. The Unabomber was one of a kind, but come on. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to start a heavy metal tribute band to Tiny Tim. Uh, please don't. 
tipping through the time bomb, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone full circle. Awesome. We are off of the fucking trail. That's what we are. Okay. My duties as host are now over. Now it's on to Mr. Aaron Camaro. Oh, yeah. You know what that means? It's time for the most important, most awesome, most kick-ass game show of all freaking time. Beat the Geek. You guys are both in big trouble. I'm sure we are. Because I've got 11. Count them. Because it goes to 11 questions for you guys today in this edition of Beat the Geek. Normally, as we found in the last few weeks leading up to this, it's more of an invitation than it is a title when I say Beat the Geek. Because <laughs> most people have come on the show and have done exactly that. Beat the hey Geek. Now. So, Chris, this week, your time to redeem yourself. You lost again last week to Metal Mike. Yep. Chance to bring it back against the Mooger Fooger. And I'm ready to begin if you guys are. Let's go. All right, your first yep. question is for Chris Sinzak. He is the geek. He goes first. And I got to know, this well-known rocker was once employed as a production assistant on the TV show Pee-wee's Playhouse. I got to get a piece of paper to keep track of score. It's just funny. I've been using the same piece of paper for the last 10 weeks. I'm starting to run out of room. <laughs> All Who right. So the first thing I got to know is when I turn to the Mooger Fooger and I say, do you think Chris knows the answer to this question? He does. Ah, right off the bat, you're being bet against Chris. This well-known rocker was once employed as a production assistant on the TV show Pee-wee's Playhouse. I know you love that show. It's your favorite. Was yeah. it? Rob Zombie, Maynard James Keenan, Josh Homme, or Stevie Rochelle? Jesus Christ. Um, no, I'm not, and I'm not guessing Jesus Christ is the answer. That is um, incorrect. <laughs> he was there uh, in spirit. Big Pee-wee fan. Total shot in the dark. I'll say Rob Zombie. That is correct. Oh wow! And since the Mooger Fooger bet against you, that's two he didn't. Points. He did not bet against. Oh, I thought he did. You didn't bet against. I him? did not. Oh, I, I thought not. you said you didn't. Okay, well, appreciate your honesty. That's one point for Chris Sinzak. All right, that brings it right up to question number two. That one go. This one goes to the Mooger Fooger. Which of these four iconic rock albums charted the highest on the U.S. Billboard charts? In 1976, I got four kick-ass albums. One of them did a little bit better than the rest on the U.S. charts. Chris, does the Mooger Fooger know it? Well, I keep getting bit in the ass when I bet against somebody, so I'm going to say he knows it. All right, you're not being bet against. Your choices are Kiss Destroyer, Ted Nugent, Free For All, Aerosmith, Rocks, and Black Sabbath, Technical Ecstasy. Which one of these albums did the best on the U.S. album charts? Oh, crap. Um, give me the choices one more time. Kiss Destroyer, Ted Nugent, Free For All, Aerosmith Rocks, Black Sabbath, Technical Ecstasy, 1976. I'll go with Ted, I'm going to go with Ted Nugent. 
That is incorrect. Oh. The highest charting album of those, Aerosmith Rocks at number three, followed by Kiss, Destroyer at 11, Black Sabbath at 13, and Ted Nugent, dead last at 24. Wow. That's surprising. Chris did not bet against you. It shouldn't be surprising. 1976, Aerosmith, come on. No points awarded. These questions are easy, you guys. What's your problem? We're drunk. Always easy questions. <laughs> All right. I'm a little drunk myself. <laughs> All right. So I'm trying to keep up with whose turn it is. It is Chris Sinzak's turn. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Canadian model Paula Turnbull is featured on the cover of Rush's 1980 album, Permanent Waves. You know the one, hurricane going on in the background, pretty lady up front, a little bit of panty showing. Which other Rush album does she also appear on? So you got Paula Turnbull. She was a Canadian model. She's on two Rush album covers. One of them is Permanent Waves. We got to figure out what the other one is. Mooger Fooger, does Chris know? No, he does not. All right, Chris, you're being bet against. Your choices are moving pictures, exit stage left, all the world's a stage, or grace under pressure. I'm not that good at rush stuff. Is it grace under pressure? That is incorrect. Oh. She actually also appeared on the album cover for Exit Stage Left, which was a live album, and the cover had elements of all the albums leading up to that point, and she was the girl pulling back the curtain looking out on the stage. Damn. So you were bet against. You got it wrong. So the Mooger Fooger gets a point. That ties us up one-to-one, and the question next is for the Mooger Fooger. Before forming Queen, guitarist Brian May attended Imperial College in London and received a bachelor's degree in this field. Brian May, smart guy. What about the Mooger Fooger, Chris? Does he know it? I'll say he doesn't. All right, you are being bet against. Big points on the line here. Your choices are a bachelor's degree in physics chemistry, biology, or psychiatry? The answer is Mr. Aaron Camaro, physics. That is correct. And since Chris did bet against you, that's two points for the Mooger Fooger, bringing the score up three to one. And what a confident answer that was. Yeah. It's going to be a fucking, fucking tradition where I lose now. I like There's that. Time. There's that was, time, Chris. There's time, buddy. That was good, like man. It. Mostly times on this show, people go, I don't know, is it this, is it that? But that one, man, the Mooger Fu was like, physics. It, for the bonus, it wasn't just physics, it was quantum physics. Oh, fuck you. Uh, for the te- <laughs> for, wait a minute, wait a minute. For the tech, for the technicality. The quantum physics didn't become an official thing until 2007, but before he joined Queen, it was just in physics. Oh, touche. So I'm going to have to deduct one of your points for your being sassy. Hey, hey, hey. 
That works for me. Don't make me deduct points for sassiness. <laughs> That's yeah, your you that's you your should. warning. You should. You should. <laughs> it's a sass warning. You love it. All right, Chris, your turn. You're down by two points, but you could bring yeah. it back with this one. Saxon's nineteen eighty five album, Innocence is No Excuse, features a close up of a beautiful woman on the album cover. But what is she eating? Mooger Fooger, does Chris know what she's sticking in her mouth? I'm going to say yes, just by reasonable deduction. But I'm going to say yes, he does know what this is. All right, Chris. He's not betting against you, and your choices are this. Was it a kielbasa, honey, bloody meat, or an apple? It's an apple. That is correct. The Mooger Fooger was wise not to bet against you. That scores you a point. Now you're a little bit closer. Mooger Fooger's got three. Chris has got two. Nice one. Did you actually know it, or was that a guess? No, I actually knew that one. Thank you, Bifer. Nice. All right. Got a couple of smart guys with me today. All right, Mooger Fooger, it's your your It's your turn. And I know you love this band, so this one should be easy for you. What is Iron Maiden's highest charting album in Canada? Chris, does the Mooger Fooger know the answer to this? I got to catch up, so I'm going to say no. All right, you're being bet against. Your choices are Number of the Beast, The Final Frontier, Fear of Dark, or Power Slave. I'm going to take a complete guess here and say Fear of the Dark. That is incorrect. As far, as far as the Canadian charts go, Power Slave was 21. Wow. Number of the Beast was 11. Fear of the Dark was 12. And the final frontier is Iron Maiden's only number one charting album in Canada. The final frontier? That's Canadians for you, baby. You know, that one album we've never heard. All right. And so since he did bet against you, wait a minute. I did. Hooey, I got a good buzz going on. I just got my numbers all twisted up. So Chris bet against you. You got it wrong. (laughs) That's a tie score. Three to three. I I should have been awarded nine points for that one. Wait a minute. That's not how this works. Shut it. How is it that I've got a better buzz going on tonight than I did the night that Rock and Ron was on the show? Everybody felt very sober compared to Rock and Ron. (laughs) (laughs) You know, scientifically speaking, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) And I don't have to be a Brian May astrophysicist to tell you that. <laughs> right. Hey, it's just physics. It's just physics. All right. Quantum didn't Woo. exist. All right, Chris's turn. You just asked Chris a question. It's my turn. No, it was yours. What? That was your question. Wait a minute. Oh, it is your question. Okay. You you oh, answered yeah, you, got, you got the Iron Maiden question. So now this is I I got it going. I got it right. I'm just testing you guys, keeping you on your toes. You're doing that. 
All right, Chris. On April 17th, 1983, mountain bassist and lead vocalist Felix Papillardi died of a fatal gunshot wound. Who shot him? Wow. Shane, does Chris know who shot the lead singer of Mountain? No, he does not. All right, Chris, you're being bet against. Your choices are a police officer, a burglar, his manager, or his wife. I guess me saying wow right after the question probably didn't help my case much. Um, was it his wife? That is correct. Oh, wow. And since the Mooger Fooger bet against you, and you got it right, that's two points. That brings up Chris six to three. Fear not. Because if you heard that, you know it's time now for the kiss round. That's double points. And the question goes to the Mooger Fooger. These questions are kind of related because Kiss has never been one to get a lot of really good acclaim and awards over the years. So both these questions kind of got a little bit in uh, common with each other. Mooger Fooger, you're up first. Your question is this. Over the years, the closest Kiss ever came to a Grammy Award was a nomination in the Best Hard Rock Performance category. What song was it for? Chris, it's the Kiss Round. Does Mooger Fooger know the answer to this? I know the answer to this, which sucks that I didn't get the question. Um, I'll say, I'll take a stab and say, yeah, he knows it. All right. He knows the answer. He thinks you probably know it too. And these are your choices. God gave rock and roll to you too. Psycho Circus. Nothing can keep me from you or modern day Delilah. Grammy Award um, nomination for one of those songs. So they actually got a Grammy. No, they didn't get the Grammy. They got nominated for this song. They got nominated. For okay. Best Hard Rock Performance. God gave rock and roll to you too. Psycho Circus. Nothing can keep me from you or modern day Delilah. Whew. Man, I'm you know what? <laughs> Out of all of those songs, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say Psycho Circus. That is correct. Oh shit. So that's two points, since Chris did not bet against you. It could have been four, but it's only two. But that brings things up nice and tight with the score now, Chris, ahead only by one point, six to five. And now, Chris, your turn in the kiss round. It's another award-related question. The closest kiss ever came to an MTV Video Music Award was a nomination in the Best Cinematography category. See, I'm not that buzz. I can still say cinematography. <laughs> what video was it for? Shane, does he know the answer to this? I think just by uh, process of elimination from what you're going to ask him, I'm going to say, yeah, he's going to know that. That's pretty good, considering you don't even know what I'm going to ask him. You're not being bet against, Chris. These are your choices. All hell's breaking loose. Tears are falling. I love it loud or crazy, crazy nights. 
I believe that was All Hell's Breaking Loose. That is correct. So, being that it's the kiss round, you get double points. You were not bet against. For the first time in a long time, Chris, you're taking a commanding lead. It's about time. Let's back up here a minute. What for my psycho circus answer? Did I get double points? Yeah, you got two points, but you didn't get four okay. points because okay. Chris didn't okay. bet against you. Checking the board, buddy. Okay. The board. I don't have any assistance here. I'm I'm the host and the scorekeeper, <laughs> and after a few beers, that makes that kind of complicated. So don't mess with me. I think Trust I got control. Board. All right, we got two questions left, and Shane. You're up. I know Chris loves these ones. Let's see how you do. According to iTunes, this is Dawkins' most popular song. Chris, you got a good three-point lead going on here. Do you think he knows the answer? I'll say yes. All right. You're not being bet against. Your choices are Into the Fire, Dream Warriors, In My Dreams, or Alone Again. In my dreams. That is correct. On iTunes, wow. In My Dreams is number one. Alone Again is number two. Into the Fire is number five. And Dream Warriors ranks in at seven. Mm. I'd put Dream Warriors at number one, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought that's what it would be. Mm, I go with Into the Fire myself, personally. I love that song. Perfect. Perfect. I like them all. Yeah, truly. All right. Well, looks like we got the answer to this one, but... Just for fun, we've got one more question, and it goes to Chris. In 1992, Stephen Piercy of Rat formed the band Arcade with oh this well-known drummer. Shane, does he know the answer in this final question of this week's Beat the Geek? I know he does, but I'm going to bet against him just because I need that extra point. You know what? And it could make all the difference in this one. Chris, your choices are Audie Desbro of Great White. Steve Riley of Wasp, Fred Corey of Cinderella, or Scott Rockenfield of Queensryche? I believe that was Fred Corey, wasn't it? That is correct. And since the Mooger Fooger bet against you, that's two points. That brings the score up. Final score, Chris finally wins one, 10 to 6. How do you feel? Oh, it's about damn time. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Chris. I love you. That was Thanks a good one, it. though. Good battle. Good questions, man. Someday I'm going to shut you suckers out, but not today. I'm, Too smart. I'm pretty good on kiss trivia. Um, so, you know, that lightning round helped me out a little bit. But, Chris, you're smart. That's what I was most nervous about this entire week, thinking I was going to be on here. I was like, man, how do I beat Chris? Just and then listen you listened to the last, to the last three, three, three episodes, episodes and said it should be easy. <laughs> yeah. No, because Aaron didn't feed me the answers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got six points in a rigged game. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, we put, the, we put the geek back up on the throne where you belong, brother. Where you nice. belong. This is where you need to be. You're too kind. 
Man, this has been so much fun tonight. I just want to say, you know, how whatever time you guys are listening to this, and we're all drinking on a Saturday night and having a good time, you know, and there's a lot of crazy shit going on in this world, but I just want to say it's really nice just to hang out with two of the people that I love the most in this entire world and just shoot the shit about rock and roll and have some fun with a silly game show and forget all the seriousness of the world for a little while. Pretty great. I love it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks again for coming on, Shane. Hey, man, I, I just can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, we live in unprecedented times. And, you know, it's so good to know that these podcasts can continue. And we got a little bit more time at home to do these kind of things. And, and you guys bring so much, so much positivity and so much just relief to all of those who are self-quarantined and don't know what to do. And people maybe don't know how to handle it. You guys, you have no idea how much you guys help us all. And it's just been so good to know you and so good to hang with you guys. And the fact that you opened up your platform some, for some schmuck like me to come on and, uh, and, and, and chew the fat with you guys. I mean, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Man, we love you too, brother. Thanks, man.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.